0: 2022. The mayor is unable to attend this meeting, so as deputy mayor, I will be presiding. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Community members are welcome to join us either in person or remotely through Zoom or by phone. Before asking the clerk to call the roll for tonight's regular meeting, is there a motion to excuse? <coughs> mayor Smith.
1: So moved. Second.
0: It's been moved by Councilmember Curtis, uh, moved by Councilmember Falcone, seconded by Councilmember Curtis to excuse Mayor Sweet from tonight's meeting. Any discussion? All in favor signify by saying aye.
2: Aye. Aye. Aye.
0: aye. Any opposed? The motion is approved. Clerk, will you please call the roll?
3: Councilmember Nixon? Here. Councilmember Black? Here. Councilmember Curtis? Here. Councilmember Falcone? Here. Councilmember Pascal? Here. Deputy Mayor? <laughs>
0: Here. Thank you. Our study session tonight is on a parks special events policy update. We expect to reconvene our regular meeting at approximately 7.30 p.m. City Manager.
4: Thank you, Deputy Mayor Arnold. Um, So as you said, tonight's event discussion is the special events policy. Uh, Before we begin, we just want to acknowledge that Special events are complex. <laughs> there are a lot of perspectives on all the issues we're gonna talk about tonight and there are many stakeholders involved, the, the residents, the community businesses, and the people who visit and, and attend the events. So what we're looking for tonight is not action. We're looking for council input and direction and also if there's additional information that the council needs before we can proceed to final action in the future. So uh, so with that as the perspective, I'm gonna turn this over to Lynn Zwagstra, our parks and community services director for introductory remarks. Lynn.
5: Thank you, city manager. Uh, Good evening, Deputy Mayor and Council. Uh, As you know, I'm Lynn Swagstra, and I'm the director of Parks and Community Services. Uh, We're talking about special events, and Kurt just gave us a wonderful introduction to that. Um, Hoping we'll get the the PowerPoint up shortly. One of the things that we thought we'd start with this evening is just a quick reminder um, as to why we do special events. Um, There's a lot of reasons, but one one of the primary reasons is the entertainment and engagement of the community. Uh, Events are often offered specifically for community building. Uh, Events are also offered to drive traffic to Kirkland businesses and for the economic impact. Uh, On that note, I'm going to hand it over to John to cover the next subject.
6: Sorry. When you're the one sharing, everything gets difficult. Um, (laughs) So I apologize. So, Yes, thank you, uh, Lynn, for the introduction. Um, And as Kurt mentioned, special events are very complex. Um, So we're hoping to dive into some of those complexities a little bit further tonight. Um, We're going to start with a little bit of background about how we ended up here. Uh, We'll talk about, um, we'll dive into some of the proposed changes within the the KMC, Um, then we're hoping to get some of your feedback, and then we'll talk next steps. So a little bit of how we got here. Um, As you may recall, we've been talking with you all for the last few years, Um, actually dating back to July of 2019 um, was when we provided a initial presentation to council um, on special events and started talking about the cost recovery for special events. Um, We had another, another session in February of 2020 and then something else happened in 2020 that I can't seem to remember that got us all sidetracked Um, so we uh we changed focus for a couple years um, but we are back Um, so some of the other few other details um, specifically where we're at today um, during the 21-22 budget cycle um, the special projects coordinator position that's sudi was converted to a one-time funded position and there was um, at the time the expectation that we would come back during this budget cycle to fund that position through through special event fees, um, obviously, um, based on your action in June, that the, the need is no longer there um, necessarily to fund the city's position. However, we do believe their um, special events do warrant charging fees for park use. Um, so we will have a discussion on the fees in a little bit later, along with a variety of different options um, of how the really we're going to dive into into that model and how I created it or how we created it. Um, to kind of meet a a specific goal. Over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of community outreach. Um, We talked about some of those sessions in February of this year when we met um, to get some of your initial feedback on a few policy changes that we we sought. Um, We've done a lot of benchmarking, a lot of research um, with uh, looking at neighboring cities, uh, digging deeper into some of the the regulations, specifically around beer and wine gardens. Um, We've met with uh, our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging staff, as well as um, the staff with the KPD uh, to discuss various policies and rules. Uh... Oh, yeah! So now I'm going to kick it over to Sudi to kind of introduce the, the code review.
7: Thanks, John. Good evening. Um, tonight, we're going to focus on these seven topics. These topics were identified through feedback from event organizers, members of the special event team and the community, and through real-world observations of events over the years. The first three topics, event types, event limits, and scheduling and prioritization of events are interconnected. So we're going to go through those topics first before pausing for discussion and questions. Um, Any discussion on event limits, may be directly impacted based on your feedback on event types. Um, Next, we will discuss event fees and dig a little deeper into the fee model and the impact on events. Ultimately, we'll be seeking your feedback on whether special events should be charged for use of city facilities. And if so, what adjustments should be made to the model presented following fees we will revisit bear and wine garden age restrictions. And finally, we'll discuss the remaining edits proposed to the KMC. Next slide, please. Thank you. The KMC defines a special event as any fair, festival, concert, performance, show, parade, run, walk, bike, or other publicly attended entertainment or celebration. The code goes further and provides an additional seven definitions for subcategories or specific event types that number does not include expressive activities which has its own definition and an additional four subcategories if council supports reducing the number of overall event types staff will consolidate the expressive event types before bringing code back for adoption Uh, most events regardless of their type are subject to the same regulations making it unnecessary and confusing to include them in the code next slide please so the staff recommendation is to significantly reduce the number of event types in the code. First, staff proposed eliminating uh, community programs, which was created as a workaround to the two permit limit. While these activities are exempt from the limit, they're treated the same as other events. The application process is simply streamlined by the issuance of one permit for the entire series rather than individual permits for each event date. Next are the major non-commercial and tourism event categories. Staff recommends eliminating these because they only appear in the definition section of the code and nowhere else. And the final elimination would be the supportive event category. This event type was created in response to a specific situation that occurred nearly 10 years ago. Since then, no events have been classified as a supportive event, including the event that prompted the additional category. Uh, for greater clarification staff recommend updating the term community event to city council designated community event to make it clear events in this category are designated by council even though the current definition states it many organizers assume their events are community events and finally staff recommend adding a definition for impromptu events which are expressive free speech activities such as a candlelight vigil That are conducted without advanced planning or organization in response to a recent incident of wide concern or interest. The KMC speaks to permitting pre-planned expressive activities, but doesn't address impromptu free speech activities. As we've seen a significant increase in impromptu events over the past two years, there is a process in place to handle these, um, but they need to be formally recognized. Next slide, please.
6: So now I'm gonna talk a little bit about event limits. Um, the KMC currently limits special events to two events per month per venue, except for community events and community programs like the, the Wednesday market. Um, additionally, it also exempts small low impact events, which are defined in KMC 1924.090. Uh, and those are events that have a, 100 or fewer participants and do not have some significant impact on public property or facilities and they do not require police or fire services and where no merchandise services m- no merchandise or services are offered for sale or trade to the public currently no events have ever met that qualification um, so we've never utilized that exception for the code um, this policy was put in place to mitigate the impacts of events on businesses and residents of kirkland while still maintaining a balance of special events and the public's the public's enjoyment of parks. Um, uh, So there's several challenges with the the current limits, is they're not very clear or easily understood, um, partially because of some of the exceptions that we previously mentioned. Um, In the public's eye, an event is an event, regardless of what you call it on paper. Um, So, uh, The Limit on Events is an early topic of discussion with new event organizers inquiring about availability of parks, especially our races. Um, We do work with organizers to find a park that can accommodate their request, but it's not always possible um, depending on their desires. Um, Most organizers want to utilize Marina Park because of its visibility and central location. Um, But unfortunately, it also has the greatest impact to the surrounding residents and businesses um, specifically related to, to parking and road closures. Um, during the community conversations that we, we held earlier this year, um, members of the public didn't seem too interested or didn't have a keen desire to increase the number of events um, held at the parks. They felt that uh, there was enough events at Marina Park and Juanita Beach, um, but thought we could perhaps encourage more events um, along the CKC or, or throughout the, the entire city. Um, However, when we met with, uh, with you all in February, you asked if it was possible if we could create a limit that was a little more flexible to allow more new culturally diverse events. Um, as we worked through several different options, it just led to more questions. Um, and so ultimately it's, it's very important for us to understand what limits, if any, uh, council wishes to maintain. So we will come back and revisit this and we kind of talk about these three topics together. Um, but there's a couple questions for for council consideration of, do you want to see more events across the board? Do you want to increase only certain types of events? Or do you want to have certain limits on on certain types of events? Um, Or do you want to create venue-specific limits? Um, Any one of those changes potentially changes some things. Um, I will admit part of the struggle in creating a limit that worked was trying to create a limit that didn't have carve-outs for various event types. Um, however, that may just be a, a thing we all have to accept. Um, so if you wanted to create more events across the board, we could just eliminate the, the overall event limit, um, or we could change the limit from say two to three or three to four um, or two to four. Um, it is important to note that more events would require more staff time and more um, more of an impact on, on things behind the scenes. Um, if we're looking to increase it for certain types of events or if if we're looking to limit certain types of events, perhaps multi-day events, um, if we we only allowed one multi-day event per month, that might, and allowed two other events, you could potentially allow for more smaller events to occur. Um, So really at the end of the day, rather than just reading through all these different options, it's just, it'll be very important for us to get a sense of what you want to limit and where we want to have that limit, whether it's just total events, or if
8: there's other little nuances that
5: we want to try and
4: work into the uh, final recommendation. That, All the- right. So, Just to maybe interrupt uh, Deputy Mayor just for a second. So, yes, I think three dimensions and three unknowns might be a little bit too much. Then come back and ask you what you think. Would it help to maybe check in on first the categories and then the discussion of the number of events before we get to the scheduling section?
0: Council, do you want to jump in now or do you want to wait for the the other pieces of the presentation? Is it? So Council Member Pascal, do have a comment?
9: I mean it I was kind of I was kind of ready to kind of hit the first three, mm-hmm. uh, which are the, the types, the scheduling and the event limits, and just kind of go at it from there. But and I was council the first. complete
2: opposite, and I was thinking it's so integrated, it kind of would be helpful to see the presentation. So I defer to the council. Okay.
0: Uh, so the um, staff had said they've got the presentation integrated. So let's keep going.
6: We've um, only got a couple slides on, yep. on scheduling,
0: I know and then we can. We're eager to talk. <laughs> so um, please, John, continue. Okay.
7: All right, so when considering event limits it's important to know how events are scheduled the current policy states dates will be reserved on a first come first served basis, not more than one year prior to the proposed event date. And that's the message that's communicated to event organizers, however, the standard practice on the back end is to pencil in dates for annual events. Um, While event organizers have a month to request their date and venue before rental facilities are made available to the general public for reservation, most organizers need multiple reminders to submit their request. When they finally do, it's often after rental facilities have been made available online for public rentals. So our goal with holding annual dates is to avoid the possibility of having to bump a private rental because no one wants to tell a bride that her Marina Park pavilion rental has been canceled. We recognize that this practice essentially guarantees the same date and venue each year for returning events and prevents new events from being scheduled. So to address this issue, if council supports it, event space will be reserved strictly on a first come first served basis. This will hold organizers accountable for submitting their paperwork on time. And this will also likely result in longstanding events being bumped from their annual dates if other activities are scheduled first. Another option for your consideration is a separate application and approval process for multi-day events. This may be a better way to address concerns about overscheduling Marina Park and the impacts of multi-day events on the surrounding community. All applications for multi-day events could be due on a specific date, such as May 1st, for example, for the following year. Applications would then be evaluated and prioritized based on certain criteria staff could then seek council approval for all multi-day events if desired. So the two options for council consideration are one, adhere to the first come first serve scheduling policy and two, create a separate application and approval process for multi-day events. Next slide. So
6: this brings us to the point, basically this this is just a good Summary slide that kind of highlights the different, the three different topics: um, event types, event limits, and event scheduling. Um, hopefully, it did make sense. They are a little bit intertwined. If we eliminate certain event types, it may change the the way we limit events. Or if we create, if we want to create limits specific to event types or event duration, um, they all work together. So it wasn't as simple as asking, "Do you want to get rid of these event types?" and then we. Talk about event limits and we can't come up with a limit that works within the discussion there so at this point i do want to turn it over um for discussion questions and feedback from from council council who wants to kick us off
0: Councilmember curtis
2: <laughs> thank you deputy mayor um <clears throat> excuse me well we're going to get into a later part of this conversation i assume after we answer and can you go back a slide um So that I know what I'm addressing but I do want to recognize um, city managers introduction that this is a difficult topic and uh, you know we have personal relationships with the people who are putting on these events Um, but we have to you know take a step back and make sure that what we're talking about are policy decisions and um, you know how we're using public space does it make good business sense what are the the public's concerns about using park space um, that there you don't have access to when events happening are we being equitable are we supporting our downtown businesses and our other surrounding businesses around parks and i'm gonna i'm gonna foreshadow a comment is that i do feel like we need to as we get to the conversation about permitting that we do need to do a better job of recouping the costs of the city and that's you know, we get lots of complaints about garbage and restroom cleanup and turf damage and so forth. So as I said, we're not making decisions tonight. I just want to recognize that there's a lot of com- complexity in this. It, to be honest, it's a little hard for me to say, oh, let's go three events and let's, um, you know, change events days," because I honestly do not know <coughs> the impact of two events versus three events on downtown businesses and parking, and and I am focusing my comments on Marina Park because that is the most popular uh, venue, and I and my f- feeling is that's also the most controversial. So, so I'm open to flexibility. I'm open to. I think it's really important that we allow for new events and that we allow for event providers who haven't had a chance to do this and that we allow for culturally diverse events. So I, I do want to build flexibility in the system. I can't tell you right now how many events, how many days. I do think there was a comment in the packet about should we separate Marina Park from the central business district. I think that would be beneficial. I do not know what the impact would be if we had a multi-day event on at Marina Park and then a two day, you know, a, a single day event on Peter Kirk whether that would create conflicts with traffic and so forth. Um, another thing that I think is, would be super helpful in this conversation is um, the tourism side of it. We really don't have a window into um, the positives the positive and the negatives of multi-day events or single-day events in our downtown core. So I still have a lot of questions. I'm not able to, to give you real answers because I think that we need... I need more information. Um, and I honestly, I can think of, you know, what are, mo- I can, th- I'm sure I could come up if I tried really hard on how many events we're having throughout the year, but I don't know how they're in conflict with each other. I just need more help. <laughs> so so I, I'm not gonna, I can't answer these for you, but I think that building more flexibility in the policy um, would be helpful. Thank you.
0: Next, we have Council Member Falcom.
1: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, well, thank you, Directors Weigstra, John, and Sudi for this great presentation. Um, and, you know, I also agree with uh, the City Manager, what he said earlier, and Council Member Curtis alluded to, that th- this special events policy is complex and full of nuances <coughs> and different perspectives. <clears throat> and I appreciate hearing from, we appreciate hearing from so many folks in the community and different stakeholders on this. So we hope to continue to to hear from you i really appreciate the focus on equity um you know we do want to welcome more culturally diverse events in our city so thank you for acknowledging that and for working on this and i realize that that's complicated to do this um what i'm looking for in policy updates is that they will be flexible and that they will be forward thinking right i think that those are two really important things we want to be as forward thinking as we can but we need to you know have built-in flexibility that if we you know like Councilmember curtis said if we decide on to a limit of two events per month, and we're realizing that that's not quite enough, that we need to have more flexibility, we need to have three events, we need to be open to that rather than having like a really formal, whole nother year-long, two-year-long process in order to change that. So let's build in that flexibility, acknowledge that we need to um, be flexible and learn from what we're doing um, so we have a mechanism to do that. Um, I do support the edits, just in some of the specifics there, the edits to the event types, um, and I appreciate adding the formal category for impromptu events. This is something I want to make sure we have a really Streamlined process. This is something that I've heard from the public many times over the past few years that they want a really streamlined process for how they can hold an impromptu event. Do it officially so that they have all the legal protections of having um, such an event um, without having to go through too much red tape. So um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, For scheduling, I like that we're exploring options other than a rolling first come first serve model. As we know, that is not the way to go that is not the way to really um, have an equity lens so i'm glad that we're exploring other options uh, we know that a first come first serve model will you know benefit those who are more who are more familiar with the system um, and with the city and have a longer established relationship with us um, and therefore would not be welcoming necessarily to new events um, i don't know what the next answer um, looks like as far as how to remedy that i am intrigued by the idea of a set deadline for larger events for the for the next year but I want to make sure that we have really strong communication plan around this so that we're really welcoming and encouraging new diverse events to apply by that deadline. And we're helping them learn how to apply by that deadline. I wouldn't want it to be just another process that, um, that favors those who are already in the know. Um, you know, when I look at this, I really think about, and John, you, you mentioned this, so thank you. Um, the impacts on businesses and the impacts on the community, right? With having these large events, there are benefits and there are, um, you know, some negative impacts to the community and to businesses for having these events. Um, and so I, I, think about those and some of our larger events might have impacts on both, right? And there was a lot of discussion around, you know, as you mentioned, Marina park in particular. Um, when I think about the impacts on businesses, what I'm reading and what I'm hearing is that that has a lot to do with the parking lot down there at Marina park. And so thank you for including the bullet on that. That's something that I would like us to explore as someone who hasn't, um, someone who, you know, hasn't attended a lot of those events in the parking lot. I am surprised to hear that we just so freely give an entire parking lot, prime parking lot for our businesses and for our community for events and so i want us to challenge that assumption i know that's the way that we've done things and so i appreciate us really thinking that um, from from a fresh perspective of why are we giving that so freely what could we do instead because some of those events be held elsewhere or use different space that doesn't have so much negative impact on our small businesses in our downtown core and on the community members who need to visit some of those businesses and may have disabilities and may not be have mobility issues and may not be able to um, easily walk to some of those businesses there. So thank you for including that. Let's take a look at that. I'm very intrigued by either perhaps not allowing complete use of the parking lot or only allowing um, a certain proportion of the parking lot to be used for special events. Um, So I'm interested in in learning more about what we could do there. Um, I think another consideration here, both in event types, event limits, and also in our discussion on fees later, I also see different types of events, again, going back to the impacts on the community that are either ticketed events or events that are open to the public, right? So an event that's fenced off, closed off, is only open to certain ages, is only open to folks who have a ticket, only open to folks who can afford to attend the event is quite different from an event that's in the park that's open to the public, like the farmer's market, where anyone can walk by and enjoy. You don't have to purchase something to enjoy it. You can still enjoy socializing, walking there, um, visiting some of the booths and getting information. And there's a lot of free resources to the community um, at at an event such as that. So I want us to really look at the differences there and how we might want to handle those differently, because those have different value to the community and different um, impacts on the community. And I think those are all my thoughts for now. Thank you. Councilmember. 1, next.
10: Thank you, Deputy <laughs> Mayor. Um, well, mo- a lot of my thoughts for tonight are about the costs. So I'm going to hold those for now. Um, the main comment I have on, on these things is I really would like to hear more from the event sponsors. It, l- it l- when I read the staff report, it seemed like we had a lot of stakeholder meetings with neighbors and business, local business owners, but I didn't see a whole lot in there that talked about having met with the event sponsors, bounced these ideas off them, let them comment on um, what the impacts of, of these would be, uh, or of the financial side of it. But 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 not these. Um, I did have the tourism program staff send a copy of the staff memo to um, all everyone who had applied for a tourism marketing grant, um, uh, at least during this cycle for next year. And we've gotten some feedback from some of them, which I forwarded to you all. Um, uh, a lot of the feedback was, again, on the fees. Um, but I would like to specifically ask them to comment on the procedural aspects. Um, The main thought that I had about the uh, reservation process, especially for large events, um, is I'm not sure that I want it to be just a a formula, like first come, first served, or a a fixed number of events per venue per month. I'd I'd like to somehow have it be more discretionary so that we can have, maybe not the council, but somehow the city has the ability to exercise our values and saying what mix of events do we want to allow to happen, particularly at at Marina Park. Um, And it's oversubscribed, right? And my thinking went along the lines of, uh, well, what I proposed back when for how to solve the problem of oversubscribed recreation programs, um, which is uh, that people who have the ability to be online right when it opens, or right when registration opens have an advantage. So that means they have to be at a computer. They have to have a computer, they have to have high-speed internet. they have to be. Uh, to have a credit card so that they can sign up immediately. And this is not equitable. And um, my suggestion back then was that we have an an application period, and then at the end of the application period, we do a random drawing for all the oversubscribed uh, classes so that everyone has an equal shot at getting in. You don't have an advantage just from being able to be the first to submit your registration. And I kind of feel like the same thing might be able to be used for large event scheduling, is that we have an open application period. At the end of that period, we look at what applications we got, and we then make a decision as to what mix of events we want to have. How can we negotiate with the applicants to on the schedules and the locations, um, so that it's less impactful on the neighbors. Um, now, that that kind of thing is what I have in mind. And yeah, it might be harder to administer. Yes, it's not as objectively fair; it's more subjective. But if if what we're trying to do is is not just be the first come, first served. Uh, uh, inequitable way of allocating this scarce resource, then maybe we can look at at that kind of an alternative. Um, So without going into the financial side of it, those are my thoughts.
0: Councilmember Pascoe.
9: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. A lot of good comments. I just have so many things circling around in my mind because this is such this this uh this topic has so many parts to it that are all interrelated and so I find this really complex uh just in the policy side um and all the different choices you know I still come back to kind of what what is the problem we're trying to solve? And it seemed like there's two things, right? It was about cost recovery is originally kind of how we got into this, and then it was about equity. And I wanna make sure the things that we're, we're doing are, are um, adhering to the problem that we're trying to solve. Looking at these three things on the, on the screen uh, and providing comments on, on these, uh, I think the event types, that makes sense to me, the, the recommendation by staff. I don't have you know, much, much more insight on that, except that, that I think the problem that we, we were trying to solve is that everyone was arguing what a community event was. Um, I think trying to define that better will be very helpful, not just to the city, but, but to those that are um, looking to host events here. Uh, the, event, the event limits, I'm similar to uh, Council Member Curtis. I just don't have a good understanding of the demand and like what different choices we make, how that impacts uh, event organizers. Um, so I just, I don't have that, that insight. So it's really hard to comment on that. When I was initially kind of thinking about that, that subject, I was thinking more along the lines of not limiting things more from what we have today, but adding just additional flexibility to add, to allow for those smaller events to occur. That, that maybe don't have all the resources, so, so people could try new things. I was, I was looking for that added flexibility. I wasn't looking to restrict further. Um, so I don't know if that makes, so to me, it, it, to me in my mind, I was thinking that it might mean a few more events to allow for those additional types of um, events. Uh, that, that's what I was looking for. On the event scheduling, I have a lot of concerns with the options that were presented, and maybe it's just because I don't have unanswered questions. Um, I, I like my colleagues, I just have, I don't know that I'm, I don't, the first come, first serve just doesn't seem like that, that just seems like that's going to create, might solve one thing, but might create two more problems um, in my mind. Um, I was wondering, about some of the some of the questions I had was do so what are the deadlines we give or event organizers I'm not real clear on that, do we require deposits when they make a when they reserve and how much is that and 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 what happens I mean do event organizers you know freely give up those deposits and so that's impactful to others that had wanted that weekend or something like that, um, I also think about the fact that sometimes a re- I mean. in in my mind repeat events are good because uh repeat events tend to attract more visitors um, because it's really hard to advertise and to market and to let the greater population know that your event is there but if it is cyclical um people start to to kind of check and, and look and so i mean i i do think that repeat events that are successful that you know, match our values or something that we want to encourage. We don't want to discourage that and make it more difficult. Um, And I'm also wondering, from the scheduling and prioritization process, do we ever have any kind of debrief after action um, summary, uh, mainly for kind of probably the more major events, I would say, as to what impacts or benefits or, or just kind of what did folks on the ground kind of see how did that go and how does that then uh, enter back into our decision-making I you I'm I would guess that we do some some of that but but I'd be curious how that could be used to um, inform future decisions uh, in terms of Marina Park I'm I am open for something a little bit more specific for that park and more or less keeping the other the other uh, locations I'm not hearing a huge need to to address the other locations to a great degree because it seems like we have a lot of capacity. Uh, but Marina Park is kind of the the capacity constraint. Um, so I'd be looking for you know something that's a little bit more specific there, uh, and and how that matches to our values. You know, does the event attract more visitors? Does it provide more activities for more uh, people and lifestyles? Um, you know is it is it economical i mean free or low cost or offers low cost options um does it reduce impacts to adjoining businesses and residents so things like that um I, i'd be looking for those type of values and i was actually it was it's funny that council member nixon mentioned that the open application kind of period that was something that i was kind of considering but i was also thinking like oh that's going to be super complex and more time-consuming and we're here trying to reduce staff time (laughs) on this and resources but you know if there was something there that um didn't require you know just a whole another level of resources that would be interesting to look at and consider um oh and then finally i do want to hear more from event sponsors uh i was a little surprised to get some of those emails from 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 Councilmember Nixon, because I was kind of expecting that that kind of stuff would come to us from staff, um, and then I I, I remembered that you're you're the uh, chair of the tourism development uh, committee, so that that then made sense. Uh, but yeah, I really do want to hear directly from from all of of all the stakeholders on, on these items. So thank you, Councilmember Black.
11: Thanks, Deputy Mayor. Trying to figure out what I can say that adds to this discussion. Um, so much has been said, and I think so much of what's been said has sort of highlighted that um, we're trying to build a system to achieve goals, some of which are at cross purposes. A little, rem- little reminiscent of uh, adopting a updated tree code. Um,
6: <laughs> this one can't take five years. <laughs>
11: Um, it's just inherently difficult from a, from a policy standpoint, from a policymaker standpoint, from a key stakeholder outreach standpoint, um, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, I, uh, it does kind of remind me a little bit too of uh, an analogy I've used in the past. Um, if the uh, you know Kirkland fire comes to us and says, we have three different options for, you know, for uh, bay doors, for our engines, It could be a roll down. It could be a folding or it could be a swinging. Um, Which do you guys want? Um, It's like, okay, well, what's the advantage of a folding? What's the advantage of a swinging? What's the advantage of a, uh, a roll up? Um, At the end of the day, the question is what, and this goes to what council member uh, Pascal has already said, it goes to what goal we're trying to achieve. So tell me like, which one Which one achieves our goal, the roll-up, the bifold, or the swinging one? Whichever one achieves the goal we're trying to achieve, uh, that's the one I want. Um, the complexity here is we don't just have a single thing that we're trying to target, which is a response time to an emergency call. Because uh, that's pretty simple, right? Um, we're trying to uh, achieve goals that are cross-purposes. And that's the struggle that we're having. That's the struggle the staff's having, I think, if I can speak for the staff. And I think that's the, that's the struggle that our, uh, that all of our key stakeholders, our residents, our business owners, and our event organizers um, uh, all have to appreciate. Okay, so what am I going to add to this discussion? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, I, I, I'm piling on here a little bit um, as to some of the things I want to see our um, our ultimate si- the system that we're building that we're uh, that we're renovating that we're improving. What I would like to see it achieve. I love the idea of the flexibility that's been discussed by my council uh, partners. Um, I remember Councilmember Falcone bringing this up and Councilmember Pascal bringing it up. Um, I want a system that. Uh, fairly, uh, balances the interests of event organizers, uh, our downtown business owners, because again, we're a lot, often talking here about Marina Park and the impact on downtown business owners, and then our residents' interest in, in their access to their parks. Now, they have interest in access to their parks. They also have interest in having wonderful cus- uh, you know, community events that you know, enrich our community. Um, I want a system that wel- that's welcoming to newcomers, um, and welcoming to new events and that has built in it somewhere uh, an on-ramp uh, for new types of events um, and new uh, types of event organizers. Um, I really like what Council Member Falcone said about trying to figure out a system that recognizes the differences between uh, events that are open to the public and those that are uh, not open to the public and require a, a purchase ticket. I um, Something that Councilmember Paschal mentioned that I, I, I was in my notes and I wanted to highlight um, is that I do think there is some advantage to being the home of an event. And I'll take it a step further and say that I'd kind of like I'd love Kirkland to have to be a destination for um, a certain uh, a certain something Um and I'd love it if we could build a system that could get us to that, that goal. And one of the things I thought about as I was thinking about this was I'd like Kirkland to be the home of every cultural festival that happens on the east side. Um, and I would like us to be uh, the, the hosts of the uh, uh, you know, Chinese Cultural Festival and the Philippine Cultural Festival and Oktoberfest and um you know in some i I was i've jokingly said you know the way sort of woodenville has sort of identified or you know by design or by default has has become the sort of destination for wine tasting i would like kirkland to be the destination for cultural events of all different kinds um some of which we already host uh but some that we could add to do something like that you can't I, i love the idea of an open application period i love the idea of a lottery but that doesn't really serve that purpose, right? It runs cross purposes to us having sort of recurring events every year where Kirkland is that home of uh, these events. I also, I, I can't help thinking of that the uh, Junior Softball World Series, that's one of those events that Kirkland is the home of the Junior Softball World Series, um, much like some other famous uh, smaller towns are home to other aspects of, um, of youth sports, and it's kind of a special thing. Um, and I wouldn't want our system that we design here or that we uh remodel and improve to uh necessarily prohibit that uh, while still creating this on-ramp for new uh new events and new organizers um i really i think Councilmember falcone said really making the process tra- making sure the process is transparent um to everyone um both in actuality and in how we administer it so making sure we're we have a very open mindset um, when um, organizers come to us especially newcomers um, uh, and want to apply uh, to for a venue um, that we have both uh, we're really transparent about the process um, again in actuality and in administration uh, and then the only last thing I'll, I'll sort of underscore is what I've heard from a couple of my council members maybe all of them that um, it, it is important that we hear from, um, from all the key stakeholders and if we haven't heard if we haven't had enough dialogue with uh, event organizers and sponsors, then I want to make sure that happens, and I want to make sure we understand um, um, th- that that impact. And a lot of that may come down to the fee question that we're going to address here in a few minutes. Um, and I think I would throw into that um, the impact on tourism. It, again, I don't have any more visibility than my colleagues do as to sort of what our events really mean for tourism in Kirkland, what they mean for occupancy of our hotels uh, in Kirkland during certain events. Um, I can't pretend to know whether Oktoberfest necessarily fills up our our, our hotels. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Maybe everyone who comes to Oktoberfest is a Kirkland resident, a Redmond resident, a Bellevue resident, a Bothell resident, a Woodinville resident, and and so it really doesn't um, do uh, what we might imagine it would do as far as an event uh, that um, helps with uh, tourism. It's hard to know um and i'd like to know more about that um so i've now i'll wrap up by saying i don't think i added much to what my colleagues said before but at least hopefully it helps the staff understand where we're all coming from
0: thank you Uh, i want to weigh in on a couple of things first i do believe events are a net benefit to the community i think we need to support them i support what Council Member Pascoe has said that there's some advantage of some predictability and repeat events and bringing people into our community. I would like to encourage that. I would like to support more events, as many others have said, and I'd be looking for ways to do that in other parks, especially Peter Kirk Park or perhaps uh, Juanita Beach Park. I recognize that a lot of this discussion is around Marina Park, and that has impacts and therefore the necessity of limits. I do look at multi-day events and uh, differently. I do look at public versus private events, as Council Member Falcone and others have mentioned, differently. Um, and I do think that how much of the parking lot and the park uh, is used by events is an impact as well. And I hope that whatever limits and policies, and perhaps this, floods, this, this um, bleeds into event types, Uh, recognize those differences. I do support the separation of of Marina Park versus Peter Kirk Park for scheduling. Um, I I think we've all had conversations about saying, how do we make the best use of Peter Kirk Park to tie Kirkland urban to our waterfront downtown and definitely want to encourage those sort of things. I think we have a limit conversation around some events, but we need to have an incentive or an encouragement conversation of other events um finally as we talk through the scheduling exercise i don't see any reason why this needs to be an annual discussion if we're going to program i think we should program over multiple years maybe it's two years to align with the budget cycle maybe it's it's longer but this needs to be a much broader conversation with event organizers the tourism development committee our arts and cultural commission uh, the chamber and others if we're going to talk about having something where we're much more deliberate about how we decide and prioritize what events are going to happen in our community and not. Other comments? Councilmember Member Falcom.
1: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Well, this has been a really great discussion and as often happens, you all have given me more to think about, which is why I have more comments to make based on some of the comments that were made. So thank you for that. <clears throat> Um, just a couple of things. The first is that um, I really appreciate what um, Councilmember Nixon and um, Pascal mentioned about the application period. To me, that was how I had kind of envisioned the idea in the memo about having like a set deadline um, for the future year, that, the, that, would, that deadline would be the end of that application period, which would then be reviewed similar to how um, Councilmember Nixon had um, explained. But I'm not sure. It sounds like we may have had a different interpretation of that. So I would perhaps like more information about what that would look like um and then secondly thank you um councilor black for mentioning you know additional outreach to event organizers i just want to add on top of that with that type of outreach i'd also like us to invite potential event organizers as as well and not just event organizers of current events and i'm thinking um, i mean we can cast the net very wide but i'm thinking of folks that have already interacted with the city or expressed some interest I know there were um, some folks interested, for example, in hosting a black joy festival in the city of Kirkland. Um, I would love for us to reach out to Eastside pride Pacific Northwest to talk about having a pride festival and events in our city. There's been talks with some cultural organizations about having more culturally diverse events around different holidays in our city as well. And so let's reach out to those um, cultural and faith community leaders in our community who have already expressed an interest in hosting events who may not already host events. Um, As well as potentially folks who are organizing similar events in other cities that we would love to see welcomed into our city So let's be inclusive and reach out to potential event organizers in that outreach as well. Thank you
6: All right Any other questions or comments before I move on? Mm.
4: Just wondering if if city if you could just give like one minute on when people apply how far ahead the deposit and then the the Summary We do at the end because we do do, as Councilmember Pascal asked, we do do a, an event evaluation um, going forward.
7: Yeah, so the event interest form is what we ask organizers to submit six months to a year in advance. That's simply to get the applica- uh, the event on the calendar. The application process itself starts about four months before the event actually takes place. Um, And that is when their $50 application fee is due. Um, That's the only fee that is non-refundable if canceled before the permit's issued. Um, And then the debrief is typically a week to two weeks after the event's taken place, um, we reach out to everybody on the special event team to provide um, feedback their departments have received. Um, We reach out to King County Metro, um, Marine Patrol when necessary. Um, We'll occasionally reach out to certain hotel operators if we know that they have um, concerns about specific events. Um, For example, you know, the 12K is going past Carillon Point, um, they often have other events scheduled and they need to know when those um, traffic delays are going to happen. Um, so we gather that information. If there are significant issues that need to be discussed um, prior to planning for the, the next year, we'll meet with everyone in person. Um, but we haven't had any significant issues requiring, you know, major changes to any of the events. So, we often just discuss, um, you know, any any issues on event day and, and figure out how to um, address those in the moment. And then they're worked into the plan for the following year. Great,
0: thank you. Thank you. Okay, John,
6: what's next? Next is event fees. Um, so it brings us to the... Point of the conversation that I think we'll have a lot more conversation, a lot more discussion on Um, to clarify a little, a couple points. The, um, the fee model that was shown was, was really just a starting point for discussion. Um, As I mentioned, knowing that the need to fund city's position was eliminated based on your, your actions in June. um, The the model does have a lot of flexibility and options built into it. Um, There's several levers that we can pull to, to change what that, what that looks like uh, based on your feedback. Um, so over the next several slides we're going to discuss the fee model, um, compare it to some of our our neighboring settings, and then go through some of those those options that you discussed for, that I mentioned. Um, so why charge fees? Um, obviously part of the one of the original reasons we, we had this conversation was, was related to the cost recovery study that we did for the department um, and to help establish a cost recovery target for special events. Um, it was intentionally left out of the, the cost recovery model um, because it didn't really fit the same way as most of our other programs. Um, another reason why you want to charge fees is for equitability. Um, we currently charge anyone that uses our that rents our park space a fee. So if you want to rent the pavilion um, down at Marina Park, you pay a fee. Um, you want to rent the picnic shelters at, uh want you the beach, you pay a fee. Ball field users pay fees to rent parks. Special event organizers are the only ones that aren't charged to utilize a park. Um, and essentially, they are conducting business in a park. Um, and then finally, it's, it is a potential sustainable funding source uh, for the city, for the department, um, for however, see, however council sees sees fit. So a little bit of the history of the fee discussion, like I said, taking us back to July of 2019, um, we, had a, we presented really a special event overview, um, trying to impress upon you the, the complexity and the nuances that go into all of Sudy's work. Um, there's a variety of different rules, regulations and laws, both Kirkland and state that, that she has to follow. So that's what that presentation was about. Um, like I said, in January or in February of 2020, um, we start. We presented one uh, an initial attempt at a, a cost recovery model, um, where we did charge park rental fees uh, based on kind of park usage. Um, at that point, the the council direction was that the model and whatever we do, whatever structure we create, should be transparent, simple, simple, defensible, and predictable. Um, there was a desire to. At the time, we discussed potentially a kind of blanket special event permit fee that would cover certain um, charges that, that some events use, some events don't use. Um, things like police, things like restroom services, um, whatever else it may have been. Um, and the direction was to maintain the a la carte model where events are only charged for what they're utilizing. So we're not padding the fees for, for smaller events and given a discount to the bigger events, essentially. Sorry. Um, Some of my notes for this slide are gone. Um, So how how these, the fees can have an impact on the city. Um, Obviously an increase in fees or new fees um, is really the only way we can generate more revenue for the city, um, short of more events. Um, And as we've already discussed, there's kind of a weird nuance there of, is there a demand for more events or is there not, um, is is there just not the space? Um, Like I said previously, you've directed us to maintain the a la carte pricing. Um, So therefore, can't necessarily change the permit fee um, based on the event type. the event model does include or does not include pass-through charges from other departments um, or things that we, we pass on. Um, so really the only model or the only mechanism left to raise those fees from special events or raise revenue from special events is the, the park rental fees. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. We've, we're making lots of edits towards the end of the day here, so I was trying to scramble to remember where I was. Um, we do recognize that any, that these, the proposed fees and any increase in fees or new fees will have an impact on event organizers. Um, and like I said, we've, we've, we've built the model with a lot of levers to pull to adjust what that looks like. Um, we would also recommend that any, whenever the time comes to, to implement these fees, that they be staged or, or phased in over time to give those event organizers time to adjust their business practices uh, to accommodate those fees. So this is a a real high level side-by-side comparison of the current fee structure, which is on the left, compared to the proposed fee model on the right. Um, The current fee structure includes a $50 application fee and a $110 permit fee. Um, Most events don't pay anything for park use. Um, The only spaces that event organizers pay a fee for are things like Heritage Hall, Moorage at the marina, um, and they pay a, a minor or small fee to the pu- public, excuse me, to public works for the lakeshore plaza or auxiliary lots. Um, during our community outreach effort, there was some concerns by the public that event organizers receive space for free where the general public is required to pay for the space rentals, um, and this was especially concerning for ticketed events that close off access to significant portions of the park compared to those open open events like the concerts or the, the Wednesday market. Um, the proposed model does increase the application fee and the, the permit fee. Um, we propose raising the application fee up to $100 um, and changing the permit fee from a, a fixed $110 to a variable fee that ranges from $250 to $500, depending on the size of your event. Um, in the memo and in the packet, it defines the small event as anything under 500 people, medium is 500 to 1,000 people, and a large event is anyone over 1,000 people. And that's based on average daily attendance. Um, So we would look at if it's a three day event, we would look at the totality of those days, we would charge variable days like Friday is going to be this rate and Thursday is going to be this rate. Um, So the biggest difference in the new model is that we were obviously proposing uh, rental charges for park space. Um, Similar to the permit, the rental fees would be based on the size of the event, with the larger events paying a higher rate than the the smaller events. So the proposed rates are shown in attachment C in your packet and will be shown in a later slide. Um, So a little bit about how we came up with the various fees that we we came up with um, and what that looks like to the the event organizers, um, at least in some cases. Um, So the application and permit fees have not been changed in nearly 10 years a few years back, we did split the application and permit fee apart. It used to be one fee, um, but the total wasn't changed. Um, so the, in- the increased fees, um, one, it's just time to increase the fees. Um, and they do correspond with the high-level service that we do provide um, special events compared to our neighboring cities. Um, the rental fees were actually based on park maintenance costs, which includes labor supplies, turf repair, um, and they also take into account current established rental fees. Um, what I mean by that is part of Marina Park's fee includes the pavilion. We built that into that. That's part of that total um, that you'll see through that price. Um, and then the, the rates are a daily rate. Um, so in previous conversations, we had looked at potentially hourly rates and daily rates and a combination of both. To try and keep this simple and easy to understand, we made it a daily rate. Um, most of our events that don't seem like they're full days still are in the parks for 8, 10, 12 hours at a time because they start so early or they end so late. Um, So, um, and then how we calculated out what the events, what the impact of the events were, was simply a calculation of the event location and the duration of the event. Um, It was noted that obviously things can change depending on what the events do from year to year, so it is really just a a guesstimate of what what events might happen and what events might take place in specific parks. Um, But for the Kirkland Wednesday Market, you might wonder how we came up with that very high rental rate. That was because they they were charged the one permit and one application fee and 18 days of rental at Marina Park, where an event like Oktoberfest was charged the same permit and application fee but was only charged for three rental days. Um, So that Three rental days of $7,500, which I will admit is not a small new fee, um, could be covered simply by 300 tickets at $25 a ticket. Um, And considering that event has thousands of people that have been attending it, it feels like there's there's some room for for some new fees there. Uh, This slide shows the proposed rental fees that that we established. like I said, they were um, they were developed using parks maintenance costs, current rental fees. Um, we did not benchmark our park rental fees or th- these fees against other cities because each venue is so unique and every city does things a little differently. Um, however, we did take into consideration. Uh, I mentioned that right. Um, so, one thing to note. Um, The marina or the Outlock Pavilion is listed here at $750. Currently, the a 12-hour rental at Lock Pavilion costs someone up to $720. However, given that the events um, that would only utilize the pavilion probably wouldn't be considered a large event, Um, they would more likely only if they're only using the pavilion they would be a small event. They would only pay half of that fee. So therefore, they end up actually paying a lower rental fee than the general public would pay. Uh, based on this model. Um, Change things up a little bit. Then this is the the fee scale that I mentioned. So large events would pay 100% of the rental rates shown on the previous slide. Medium events would pay 75% of those rental rates, and small events would pay 50%. Um, The reason we proposed to vary the rental rate in that is because, or based on the size of the event, is because the size of the event has a direct correlation to the impact of the park. More people puts more wear and tear on the the grass, puts more use on the restrooms. Um, So it really just drives the cost based on the size of the the model. One thing we did update is the benchmarking of how different our neighboring cities offer or operate special events. So the very top row is our current model of a $50 application fee, $110 permit fee, and no charge for park rental, park rentals and street closures. Um, it does note that there are some rental fees for s- certain facilities um, that I previously mentioned. Um, the, the next line down is our, our proposed model, and then you can see what Bothell, Bellevue, and Redmond do. Um, as you can see, there's really no standard method to charge event organizers. Um, some cities charge an application fee, some don't. Some vary their permit based on the size of the event, like Redmond does, um, and others charge if it's a rentable facility. Um, so. There's really not a standard out there, but when you start putting all the, the widgets in place, um, we feel our, our proposed model is fairly consistent with what's what's going on out there. So with that being said, I knew I assumed there might be a question on what the what it looks like, the current model versus the proposed model, and what that what that impact would be on our event organizers and, and on the specific events. Um, Again, this does not show all the pass-through fees that other departments uh, may include. So that's things like police for um, traffic control or events that have alcohol, um, any of the public works charges, parks maintenance fees, um, things of that nature because those are those are variable. Um, this also is shown at the full implementation. Um, it's 100% charged assuming everything in the model is exactly correct um, like I said we would recommend that this be phased in over time um, and potentially there's lots of levers that could be pulled to change what those fee, what the fee structure looks like overall um, so yeah as I said we would recommend that we uh, phase this in over time um, our recommendation it's a little different what's in the memo at this point I think this presentation has been delayed a couple times and that didn't get caught up. But we would suggest that the new permit fee structure goes in place starting next year and we begin phasing in the rental fees in 2024 um, over a four-year period, which would give the event organizers a lot of window and a lot of lead time to understand what fees they're going to be charged. They can adjust their event accordingly, um, work out whatever they need to work out before they're, they're hit with some of those, those new fees. Um, and with that, I'm gonna transition it over to Lynn, who can provide a little bit more context with some of the tourism development committee, or Tur- tourism development grant information.
5: Yes. Uh, so council members asked about the impact to event organizers of those fee increases. And uh, John did just show you that, and it does show that uh, at full implementation there, there is a, a substan- substantial increase to their fees Uh, Another question that you've asked is, are these fee fee increases even possible uh, given the expenses that the organizers have? So do they have the ability to recover for those increased fees? And that's a very difficult question for us to answer without access to all of their information. However, we can approximate the impact based upon the data reported in the grant applications for the tourism development grants. This is information in their grant applications. Um, We didn't pull every single application, we just pulled a a couple of the the bigger ones. So you can see Oktoberfest, uh, Summerfest Uncorked, Uh, they're projecting pretty high attendance um, and of course, pretty high costs, as you can see Uncorked is a quarter of a million dollars in expense. Um, So next slide. We took the liberty of making some calculations (laughs) And so if we look at the reported participation for Uncork at 35,000, and the ticket price was $40 per ticket, uh, you can see that their potential revenue is $1.4 million. Um, Minus the expense, you have $1.1 million of um, conceivably profit with which to absorb rental fee increases. Um, with Oktoberfest, again the the projection was 35,000 and their expenses were 175,000. Those tickets were 35 dollars, so their revenue potential is uh, one and a quarter million essentially, and again, conceivable profit is just over a million dollars. Now I would take these numbers with a grain of salt. Um, these numbers were projections submitted in the grant applications, not actuals, and we all know that there are a lot of variables once uh, once you actually get into offering an event, uh, but we thought it might be uh, worth just providing that information to you. And I'll kick it back over to John.
6: Yeah, so with that, um, it kind of brings us to the policy question at hand of, does city council wish to achieve some level of cost recovery for special events um, and as, as stated in the memo status quo previously was calculated at around seven percent cost recovery um, that number would certainly be different today based on new expenses and new new events that have come through um, the the model does propose close to a full cost recovery at least towards the one position um we can also try and develop the model that reaches any target in between there. Um, And like I stated earlier, we do recognize that these fee increases do and will have a direct impact on our event organizers. Um, And we would wanna phase it in over time to allow that to ease the burden, I guess, best term. So so with that, we'll turn it back to council for questions. And just a quick time check. It does look like we've got about 20 minutes left until seven o'clock. Uh, and we do still have the discussion on beer and wine garden restrictions and penalties.
0: Okay, council discussion. Council Member Nixon.
6: Um,
10: thanks. Uh, one, one question for clarification first. In the table of the proposed uh, rental fees, um, it showed that the cost for uncorked would be 21000 um, compared to 7500 for most of the other three-day events. Can you explain why the estimate for uncorked was so much higher?
6: That was for uh, Marina Moorage because they've historically rented a good portion of the the dock and brought in their floating dock to their boat show. Um, that hasn't happened in the last several years, but we built it into the model just in case, just to kind of help us, help us get to that finish line. So like I said, any, any of the event changes would have an impact on that. So,
10: sure. but the... the... The, the rate for park rentals without including the marina, you would have guessed Uncorp would be the same as Summerfest and Oktoberfest, et cetera, the other three-day events.
6: Yes. So it might be a little, there's probably a little, there is an error on that one slide because technically the mortgage would be a park rental fee, that um, I just didn't carry over into that. Comparison.
10: Okay. Um, I appreciate the fact that you uh, did the calculation based on reported attendance or projected attendance off of the TDC uh, grant applications um, uh, and what their published ticket prices are, et cetera, uh, to show that, well, these guys are highly profitable. <laughs> and how can they be claiming that you know $7,500 in park rental fees is going to make it not pencil out? Um, I don't know why they say that, but we've had That said, just in the last day, um, and so I I really would like to, in the stakeholder process, to ask the event sponsors, why do you think a $7,500 park rental fee would cause it to not pencil out anymore? Um, uh, The one thing in here that disturbed me most was the $45,000 for the uh, Wednesday market. And I think it's been mentioned a couple of times already that that's not a closed event. It's open to the public for you know people. It doesn't cost people to attend. And uh, KDA has explicitly told us just in the last day that it would not be viable to continue the event if they had to pay forty-five thousand in rent. So we need to figure out. We would need to figure out something there, either a yeah. different classification of event or whatever it would be. Um, so my general comment is. Um, that we can't be driven to a conclusion based on concerns of neighbors, whether they are residents or businesses, that we have to balance, and I think Council Member Black mentioned this, we have to balance the interests of the neighbors and the neighboring businesses with the economic uh, impact, the benefits of the events to the community and to other businesses, right? So a lot of these events... Um, have a significant impact on overnight hotel stays, uh, you know, makes uh, the, uh, benefits the hotel businesses, and I think it benefits restaurants and other types of businesses. It's really tough to do that balance, but I don't think we can allow events to be vetoed because of just concerns about parking or noise. We need to figure out what the right balance is. Thank you.
0: Uh, next we have council member falcon
1: thank you deputy mayor um taking notes on what Councilmember nixon just said because i have some thoughts on that too um yeah i mean i i feel like it's fair uh only fair to charge some fees for special events Um, i think it just makes sense however we don't want to create a barrier to having a robust calendar of diverse events that are of value to our community and i think there are we're starting to get at that with um that balance with the proposed fee scale of based on the size of event, having the rental rate, uh, decrease as the size of the event decreases. I think that makes logical sense. Um, and I'll repeat what I said earlier, my comments earlier about having ticketed events versus events that are open to the public. I really want to see that, um, uh, incorporated here into our fee scale, similar to how we, um, have the, the fee scale with discounted rental rates for smaller events, we could perhaps apply a similar discount to free events that are open to the public. Or you know we can come up with categories similar that we have the large, medium, and small events here to you know, arrange from you know, fully ticketed events that are private to something in between to that's very low cost to something that's free and completely open to the public. I think that we'd, I'd like to see a proposal of that. Um, you know, as Councilmember Nixon said about the Wednesday market that really would apply here, you know, that also was a concern, really an outlier that that was a red flag to me that that's something that not only is free to the community, but has value to the community. There's booths there that provide resources and activities. I mean, there are, you know, I'll go there with my kids and they get to do free craft activities and balloons and other fun stuff and the whole community can benefit from that and resources from we have city booths there with information about city with city resources and so I could see that being at kind of the one end of the spectrum and some of the fully fenced off over 21 ticketed events being at kind of the other end of the spectrum with perhaps some categories in between. Um, I agree also with Councillor Nixon about striking some sort of balance with the interest of the neighboring businesses and the um, community members and the event organizers. These events do bring a lot of value to the community, but we also do need to consider the impact on the local businesses in close, close proximity. So perhaps it's something like we discussed earlier of limiting the proportion of the marina parking lot that can, be, um, that can be rented, and it still leaves some of that open. You know, we've heard concerns, like I mentioned earlier, from Some um, folks in the community who had mobility disabilities, who weren't able to access businesses that they needed to access during large events because the entire marina parking lot there was closed down. So I think there is a way that we can balance those interests um, and still be able to hold these great events, um, but not restrict parking too much. So um, yeah, I would like to see a proposal come back, like I said, with with those considerations. Thank you. Councilmember Pascoe.
12: Thank you, Deputy
9: Mayor. My perception of the events and the organizers that put on the events is that they're not rolling in the dough. Um, My sense is that they're barely scraping by. Um, And I'd like to be proved wrong on that. Um, There's, while expenses were listed in that information, what's not accounted for, are the people costs, the time and the efforts and the staff that it takes to organize uh, the events, which I would imagine is is quite um, expensive. And I know many, if not all, the events depend upon volunteers to actually make them happen. So um, I just want to be very careful about how we really think about this and whether or not um, these costs could basically prevent some of, some of our events from actually occurring and and new ones from occurring as well. It's not clear to me where to draw that line in terms of the costs uh my feeling by looking at that is that that would result in some some reductions in the number of events um just due to the costs i hear all the time about the costs um and it's not just the it's not the applic- application fee costs. it's all the pass-through costs i hear about that a lot uh from from folks so really want to understand more about how these costs could impact impact those especially also especially events that are trying to get established that's That's often when events are more precarious, right, is because they don't have necessarily the market potential initially. They're trying to establish themselves. And so if you have very large upfront costs, the risks are just too great to even even go down that path. Um, And the last thing I want to do is make it more expensive and actually see uh, a reduction in both the number and type of events that are offered. other thing is, my understanding is this is somewhat inconsistent with some of our past practices as a as a city um, and council, in that during the downturn, we specifically cut back on uh, resources we devoted to events. Um, we used to put on more as a city, and we pushed that to the private. They could raise funds. They could find other funding to, to do these things. Um, I know we're starting to do that a little bit more, but... I don't want to penalize uh, organizers to f- putting on uh, more events. Um, and then finally, uh, the one thing that I have a hard time reconciling is city versus non-city events. So I'll throw out a couple examples. Um, Wednesday market put on by the KDA. To, so they'd have to pay a fee. What about this, uh, the Friday market at Juanita that the city organizes? So then are we paying, do we have to pay ourselves? A fee. Um, they're the same type of uh, market um, why would we be charging someone and not I, I just I have a lot of uh, questions about the equity of that that doesn't make sense to me same thing with Summerfest versus the Harvest Festival um, both offer free events open to the public you know uh, focused on on our community but we'd be charging much higher fees on one as opposed to the other Um, and, and using park you know the difference is park space obviously but but still i think we would have to reconcile that that's something that we have to have to think about um if if this does indeed move forward so i'm just kind of throwing out a lot of the concerns i have with the proposal um i i i would have to be convinced that these these rental fees aren't going to um significantly impact uh the the types of events that we we have in the city today thank you
0: councilmember kirkus
2: thank you deputy mayor i keep thinking about Councilmember black's comment about tree code um <laughs> so i'll try to simplify i i i believe in increasing the application fee i know for a fact that sudi does a lot of hand-holding and helping people through the application and um, There's a lot of carrying and feeding there, so I think that we should increase the application Mm -hmm. fee, and I strongly support um, the phased approach over now four years. I think that's the right thing to do. Um, I hear what everyone said, and very clear to me that I feel there's a difference between events that are closed off to the public and events that provide a public benefit, and the public benefit events, in my mind, are... That You don't have to pay to go. So it's our summer concerts, our pumpkins in the park, our our Wednesday market. So I think that we need to readdress that. What events are you pay for the privilege to be inside the fence? And what events are open to everyone in the public? Um, There's... And back to Councilmember Nixon's, and I, I need more information about what these events truly cost, what, um, and what kind of returns, and how much money. I know that a lot of these events, especially the ticketed ones, uh, donate funds to nonprofits. So you know we don't want to hurt these nonprofits who are accounting for this on this check. But what size of check are we talking about? And and do we have an expectation that there's a defined percentage? From the ticket sales that go to these nonprofits, so there's still a lot of unknowns, and I know that you guys have worked really hard on this, but it seems like we have quite a bit of work more to do. Thank you.
0: I'd like to offer some feedback first on the application and permit fees. I'm okay with moving forward on those on the um, on the proposal, but I do think there's a lot more work to do with the pieces the park rental and one point. Well I support a lot of what councilmember Pascal has mentioned. Um, one point I would mention is as you look at the breakdown in attachment D, when you look at the total cost for every single event, it's um, at least five times what they're paying now when you add in the rental fee compared to if they weren't paying a rental fee previously. that's the big um, chunk of this and so I think we need to have a much more involved discussion on what's our cost recovery want to be on that that rental fee on events and do we want first do we want to set a policy that at the full 100 percent and or and or how much do we scale it because i don't even think four years is enough given how much this um, impacts we may want to set a long-term goal but really just look more short short term on this because i agree with Councilmember Pascal. i don't want to risk All the dozens of events there um that do have some community benefit. Thank you. Okay. John, I know we only have five minutes left. City manager.
4: Yeah, well thank you. I was just gonna ask we could bring back the Baron garden one or we could go into the seven o'clock time frame. Uh what would the council like to do?
0: Okay. Um I'm seeing that let's spend an extra five minutes to to get things done.
6: I'll turn it over to Sudi because she's going to talk about beer and wine gardens.
7: All right. <clears throat> so following our last presentation on beer and wine garden age restrictions, council had several follow-up questions. Uh, you wanted to know the specific requirements for obtaining state approval for all ages access, why so many requests for all ages access are denied, If there are requirements for professionally trained servers and how the regulations differ for restaurants compared to special events. All right. Move forward before I was ready. Yeah, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, After scouring the state's website and making several calls, Staff confirmed the Liquor Board will not provide a specific list of requirements that must be met to obtain all ages approval. Um, Representatives did say all ages requests are considered an exception to the rule, which allows them to determine if the event is appropriate for children and then place additional restrictions on event activities, which may focus on food requirements, security and server training. Uh, special occasion licenses are only available to nonprofit organizations and are limited to 12 event days per calendar year. Those servers at those events are not required to have professional training. Um, here in Kirkland, we typically see volunteer servers receive basic training about 30 to 45 minutes prior to the start of their shift. Um, now, restaurant servers, on the other hand, they're required to obtain A mandatory alcohol server training permit within 60 days of hire, if they serve, mix, or sell alcohol for on-site consumption. The training and exams are provided for a fee by third-party providers and take about three hours to complete. Any employee not possessing the required permit may receive a criminal citation and or imprisonment. The employer can also be fined and have their license suspended. Liquor board representatives said because special occasion licensees do not serve and sell alcohol regularly. They're not experts in proper ID verification and recognizing signs of intoxication, which makes special events more of a public safety concern than a licensed restaurant. Um, This code was last updated in 2013 with input from the Kirkland Police Department, Washington State Liquor Cannabis Board, and the city's insurance provider, uh, WCIA. Um, Staff revisited this issue with police chief Harris and WCIA uh, neither have changed their recommendation. The enforcement of DUI laws and other legal alcohol related behaviors is a strong community concern and mitigating this public danger is a priority for the police department. Allowing all ages access to beer and wine gardens makes it easier for minors to gain access to alcohol and puts them at greater risk from exposure to people who are consuming alcohol. Feedback from the community outreach sessions held earlier this year, which included business owners, community groups, general public, and even organizers were generally consistent. While there was some support for all ages gardens, the majority of participants were either neutral or did not support changing the restriction. Um, Next slide. I'll just finish up here. Um, Based on this information and the totality of public and stakeholder feedback, Given the recommendations, WCIA and the Kirkland Police Department, staff does not recommend making changes to the code at this time. Um, We'd like council direction on potential code changes. Council, discussion.
0: Council Member Curtis.
2: Um, I support staff recommendations. It sounds like it's a complicated process. KPD and park staff has been very clear that... They don't think that's the right direction to go, and I support the staff recommendation.
0: Councilmember Black.
11: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, thank you for the presentation. Um, I support uh, staff recommendation for all the reasons that um, uh, Councilmember Kurzman mentioned and that staff has cited. It's not supported um, from the standpoint of law enforcement. It's not supported from the standpoint of insurance coverage and liability to the city. Um, and um and I have my own anecdotal experience um in the um in the beer and wine gardens at, at various events uh that we hold in the city of Kirkland. I wouldn't want anyone under the age of twenty-one uh being served by volunteers who haven't been trained uh to serve alcohol. Um so um if nothing else, until that changes, I, I wouldn't change my recommendation. Thanks.
0: Councilmember Pascoe.
9: Thank you, Deputy Mayor.
11: So just uh, thanks to staff
9: for uh, looking into this uh, more in depth. Um, I, I know I raised this as a something to, to look into further. Uh, last time we talked about this, this subject, uh, there was a lot of interest. Um, I mean, there was interest from, from some event organizers um, in that they could offer a greater array of... Um, of uh, Types of activities um, at their events um, because it it would it would it's not just about the beer and wine garden allowing minors. It's that they could they could um, remove the fencing from these private events um, and offer greater activities for a greater amount of community. So change the kind of the entire structure of how, how some events are, are are put on, and that was kind of what I heard as the impetus to it. Um, To that point
6: the event would still be required to be fenced based on the liquor liquor control board Um, so they wouldn't be able to remove the fences they would just be allowed to be in the fences
9: yeah for the beer and wine garden correct yeah i'm talking about for the the parts the other parts of the event that aren't where that um where you don't have to be above 21 to drink yeah Okay. Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have people walking all over the park with with beer or wine or anything. They'd be concentrated in, in one location.
6: Yeah. I misunderstood. That I apologize.
9: Yeah. No, that's good. Um, but you know, it's obvious that there's a lot of complications to this. So, um, and it doesn't look like there's a majority support. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs>
0: Councilmember Falco.
1: Thank you. Just for sake of tally, I also support staff's recommendation. Thank you.
0: Okay, Council Nixon.
10: Might as well speak on it too. I mean, my position in general is that uh, having the 21-year age for consuming alcohol is an error. Most European countries don't have that and they do just fine. In fact, they do better than we do um, in terms of keeping kids from overindulging because it's part of how they're brought up, right? And I especially don't think that it's right that an 18 year old can join the military and die for this country and not have a beer. And I'm saying that as someone who does not drink alcohol at all, right? So I think the policy, the bigger policy issue, we're just wrong in this country right now on how we deal with it. Um, But the fact is is that it is the law today. And until the law has changed, we need to be consistent with the law as it is. So I would also support the staff recommendation.
0: And just to be on the record, I was interested in learning more about the Woodenville experience since they they were successfully able to do that and make things work as a more family-friendly experience, but the will of the council is to move forward with the staff recommendations, so we will wrap up this item. City Manager, if I could ask that the policy issues come back at a a later date.
4: Absolutely. Thank you very much for your thoughtful consideration of all these issues. Uh, They are definitely complicated, and I appreciate it.
0: And Lynn, John, Sudi, thank you very much for putting all this together. As you've said throughout, it's very complex, and I think we're making some progress.
5: Thank you. Thanks for your input.
0: Okay. Uh, Please, go ahead. Okay. So uh, with that, uh, we'll be in recess until 7.30.
3: Life, Mayor, Deputy
0: Mayor.
2: Recording in progress.
0: We are back in session following a study session on a parks special event policy update. Mayor Sweden is unable to attend tonight, so as Deputy Mayor, I will be presiding at our meeting this evening. Our next item is communications, items from the audience. This is in the time in our meeting when we normally hear from the public on matters that are not. Quasi-judicial or otherwise scheduled for public hearing of which there are none scheduled this evening Please limit your remarks to three minutes and the council will receive up to three comments each on both sides of each issue If you are present either in person or virtually and would like to address the council during this items from the audience period Please sign up using the online public comment Instruction link or in person using the posted QR code for those participating by phone, please dial star nine in order to be recognized to speak. Community members will be called in the order in which they signed up. Items from the audience is an important part of our business meeting, and we ask that everyone be treated with kindness and respect. We ask that you please do not clap or applaud after a speaker, nor express your disagreement with a speaker. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome expressing their viewpoints regardless of content. Because they could be disruptive, signs and placards are not allowed in council chambers during our meeting regardless of content
3: city clerk our first speaker this evening is Anne Hess and she's virtual she'll be followed by Pamela Bivens and Donald Chin good evening Miss Hess please
0: um, go
8: ahead can you hear me yes we can please go ahead okay wonderful uh good evening um on behalf of the Kirkland Downtown Association which organizes many of the free community events in Kirkland, such as the Kirkland Wednesday Market, the kids and adult concerts, Pumpkins in the Park, Winterfest and others, we're only made aware of these fee increases in the last few days. Our events are free to the public and welcoming to all. As a nonprofit, these fee increases would prohibit us from continuing with our events. I've listened to the study session held before this meeting and appreciate the thoughtfulness of the Council in addressing the complexity of these issues. I respectfully request that any future discussions or decisions are postponed until the nonprofit community and event organizers have an opportunity to digest this proposal and provide appropriate feedback. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments.
3: Our next speaker is Pamela Bivens and she's here in the council chamber.
13: Bivens her microphone is disabled. Well yeah, she oh,
14: she's coming down
15: to get up. You have to
14: get her dog. Oh jeez.
0: Come on. Welcome Ms. Bivens.
14: Hi, Hi. thank you. Um, I'm here tonight to talk about what it's like living in an imagine housing or um, imagine housing complex. Um, To give you just a little bit of background, uh, I was in the army. And um, last year, August of last year, I had a stroke. That left me in this wheelchair. And um, this is Chewbacca. He actually pulls my wheelchair around. And um, like I said, a year ago I had, or a little over a year ago, I had a stroke. I got out of the hospital October 2nd, over a year ago. And I started, I immediately requested reasonable accommodations to get in and out of the trash room and in and out of the laundry facilities. And my request wasn't denied. It was just flat out ignored for over a year. I still can't get in the laundry room or trash room. And I uh, was just actually screamed at <laughs> because I had two bags of recycling in the hallway. And you're not allowed to do that. I was yelled at by the um, apartment manager and the the um, maintenance manager. And I told him if I could get in the trash room, I wouldn't have recycling sitting out in the hallway. Uh, and like I said, I can't get in the laundry room either. And this is a bit humiliating, but to um, do my laundry, I actually have to sit on a shower bench and I run water in the tub. I uh, put laundry detergent in the tub, and then I use my feet to wash my clothes. And then I do the same process except to rinse them. I use my feet to, you know, rinse them in the water. And that's how I have to do my laundry. Um, I don't think it's too much to ask to be able to get to the facilities that I pay rent to get to. And uh, I actually just gave my notice. I was homeless for two years before I moved into Francis Village. I've lived there over ten and a half years. Uh, Myself and a group of nine vets moved in before the building was even open um, fully to residents. I haven't had any issues in ten and a half years. No major issues. Um... In July, I got into an argument with another resident. And I won't use the language either he or I use during that argument. But Ms. Bivins, I'm, I'm sorry,
0: we do have a, a, a time limit in speakers. We do want to hear your story. I'm wondering if I could get you to talk to David Walbrecht, our uh, communications manager, and he can arrange for either to get your uh, entire testimony or even help arrange for you to talk to council members individually. OK, OK.
3: Thank you for coming you. this
0: evening and thank you for, for your comments.
3: Council, our next speaker is Donald Chin and followed by Fred Ritchie.
0: Welcome, Mr. Chen. Thank you for being here tonight.
12: Yes, thank you very much. Now I want to address the council members, the council meeting, as well as the mayors, and those uh, that are in charge of Kirkland. Now, I am a resident of Francis Village, which is a property of Imagine Housing. Okay. Now, for my background, I was 10 years in the Navy. I'm disabled now. Uh, honorably discharged. Now, the situation I have is that in Francis Village, the staff members, meaning the property owners, and the residential specialists were there to help us out. However, though, in what I found out that the residential support specialist has a tendency of going over to the property manager's side and anytime when there's an issue to be addressed, then the act of privacy has been violated because she would take the individual to the office, to the property manager, and discuss whatever it was, when some issues pertain to only the individual and the residential support specialist. So that's one issue. The other issue is that um, in the trash room, okay, the trash room and the recycle is so full that you cannot put anything into those tubes. So they wind up leaving inside the trash room and that's um, a a place to catch fruit flies and whatever inside, which is unsanitary. And the third point I want to make is that um, when they're supposed to provide support to us, they don't. And then I understand that Imagine Housing is petitioning for extra funding, but the actual actual extra funding does not go down to the resident support specialist to help us residents at all. So I think that they need to be addressed on that one and ask the reason why are they requesting this extra funding when it is not, is not applied to what's supposed to be out there. Uh, thank you and I hope you have a good evening. Thank you for your comments.
3: Council, your next speaker is Fred Ritchie, followed by Alan Freeman and Ida Porter.
0: Thanks. Uh, Welcome, Mr. Ritchie.
16: I, yeah, I, I came to the meeting last week and I saw the proposed budget and... Um, it, it looked, it was very difficult to hear. It's difficult to hear and hear for people. And uh, when people are wearing masks, they don't need a mask in front of the microphone either, I don't think. But anyway, <clears throat> it was my understanding that, that uh, you're going to uh, add full-time employees from part-time employees, 48 of them from what I saw. And you're going to fund that with uh, increased uh, fees on tabs uh, and utilities and uh, a head count. Um, and all those things are are possible, but we're, we're heading into a recession. Microsoft is laying people off, and I think you're going to have a lot of people that, you know, are trying to make it to work and trying to buy groceries. And you're going to add uh, a few hundred dollars uh, every few months or month or whatever uh, because of these things. And I think we need to hold the line and see what what's, what's going to happen. We don't need to to uh, spend more money right now. I think it's a real scary time. And I think uh, you're doing a, a disservice to the people that are right on the edge. And I think you're going to run some people over into the into the uh, you know the needy part. So I'm I'm very concerned about that. So I, I wish you'd use a lot of restraint before you add full-time employees, because once you add them, you're, you've got their their pension and their benefits for 60 years, and you're never going to get rid of them. Uh, not that you want to get rid of them, but. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a commitment for a long period of time and we always uh during these these kind of times we always rifted our our employees down you know re- reduction in force uh to uh, to make make use of the uh, to to uh, you know the situation to deal with a situation anyway I, I hope that you use a lot of a lot of care when when you uh if you are going to increase the fees on all these people because I think it's, it's, there's a lot of people hurting out there, and I think you need to really be concerned about it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments.
3: Your next speaker is Alan Freeman, followed by Ida Porter and Cindy Charlebois.
17: Hello. Welcome. So, um, first off, I'd like to say thank you for listening to me tonight. Your concerns helps. And um, so I understand that you guys will be soon uh, voting on Imagine Housing um, fu- funding or soon. So I would like to talk to you about Imagine Housing and uh, their case management. So I have actually personally been with Imagine Housing for about three years. And for what I've seen, they don't take care of their tenants at all. And... You know, when it comes to, like, supplying the tenants with household goods or anything that they actually go out and ask for, the case management gives them excuses or tells them, come back and make an appointment when it's just a roll of toilet paper or something like that. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to make an appointment for a roll of toilet paper. So also, you know, the tenants, we do get donations every week. But case managers tells them what they can have and what they can't have, and I don't think that's right. Um, And then, you know, it's also seeing case management walking taking donations home with them. So if you're going to keep donations away from the tenants, but you're going to take the food home with you, uh, there's a much-needed tenant out there that could use that food, but yet they're taking it for themselves, and that's definitely wrong. Um, And those are just some examples that are happening you know, at at the Imagine Housing properties. Um, But I would love to talk to you guys more in the future about other issues that are going on because there's a lot more than just what I'm discussing right now. So I also, I believe that we need to hold them accountable, Imagine Housing, on any funds that they're dispersing because uh, maybe get an audit on them or something like that because then it could prove maybe they're using the money for other things than what they're actually telling you guys that they're using it. Just something to think about. Um, so I really hope you guys you know, uh, take this serious. And I meant what I said. I'd like to talk to you guys in the future, if possible. Um, so thank you again for your time and understanding.
0: Thank you for your comments. If you will talk to David Walbreck, he'd be happy to give you some information on how uh, to... Uh, Arranged to meet with us thank you thank you
3: the next speaker is ida porter followed by cindy charlebois
18: hello um i'm here on behalf of the firefighters i'm from seattle um firefighters have helped me many times in my life um i don't know what the status is as far as the, the the injection or the vaccine Right here is a list of uh, all the effects that you may get from these um, injections, you know, including death, Guillain-Barre syndrome, myocarditis, autoimmune, vaccine-enhanced disease. And also, I mean, we know there's always risk in life. But also, under the license that these vaccines and injections are approved, are not the same as they would as if I got a flu shot. Um, Okay, this is the EU Emergency Use Authorization. And here, this is where the Health Secretary of the United States of America has authorized this shot for the American public and so forth. And part of that is informed consent. And that doesn't mean just the Health Secretary, that means each and every one of us deserved informed consent with the products because they are licensed as experimental and investigative. They are not approved. There is no approved FDA product. And also, because that law has not been 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 uh, quantified by any courts, that there is, at, at some point, this informed consent and how it does with respect the people that don't wish to be injected with experimental investigative products. There was a, a law back in the 1970s. It's called the Belmont Report. And it's a protection of human subjects. And what does it what does it apply to It applies to all federal agencies and in, in America, not just just anyone, just everywhere and in any place, and it was put in place because in the 1960s, people with disabilities were injected with hepatitis, so that's kind of the history so fifty years ago they they were thinking enough to think uh, about people and, and their welfare and i If the firefighters don't aren't reinstated, I think this is a gross thing injustice and that's really all I have to say thank you
0: thank you for your comments please no applause during public comment Uh, the city manager will provide an update on firefighter vaccination during the COVID-19 update later in our meeting
3: next Next. the next speaker is Cindy Charlebois followed by Alex Zimmerman
15: hi my name is Cindy Charlebois and I'm here to talk about a few issues about imagined housing Um, from day one, I knew there was a problem with parking. It's, it's atrocious. And as I look at, I think it's called the Fairfield project right next door. For example, a studio gets 1.6 parking spots and then it goes up for each one bedroom or two bedroom. Um, the seniors got one parking spot for three tenants and they got one parking spot for staff right now. There's three staff working there. Okay. So this is, and they actually come in and take the tenants parking lot parking. So, um, visitors can't come visit their relatives. Um, home health care can't come in. Um, social workers always avoid going there even though they're supposed to see their clients because there's no parking. If this would have been built near a neighborhood where a true neighborhood, cause this is basically in a commercial industrial area, there would have been a neighborhood where people could have parked down the street and walked in. That doesn't happen there. There's no safe pull off to pick up people and access fans like John Gabriel and Redmond, uh, go have a cup of coffee at Katanda one day and watch the nightmare Monday through Friday, say from eight to 11 every day with delivery trucks and access and, and Hopelink trying to pick up tenants. It's, 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 it's embarrassing. Um, so my idea was though, I looked at the project at Fairfield and you guys are requiring two walkways. Great ones coming down from Francis village ones coming by the storage unit. I'm assuming it's going to be lit for safety. It's coming down from that project. There's parking up there. I read that if somebody rents a commercial building, they've got four parking spots. Do you guys need storage? Because if you guys rented 1200 square feet of storage up there, we could get. I don't know how many 16 parking spots. So we could have staff that could then walk down and really take care of the people. So just think about it, we've got an opportunity to be creative. Um, There's parking up there. I don't know, you know, you have to rent a commercial space to get four parking spots. Maybe it's not gonna be used and somebody could buy it. But um, to start the ADL program, they need it so badly, But, but it needs, that's the adult daily living, but they really need to be set up to do it. I wouldn't give them the money until they had policies and procedures And I've never seen Imagine have policies and procedures. So I would like them developed first before they be given the money. I actually suggest that you invite Plymouth housing to come in and do it for the first few years and then pass it off to Imagine. Um, Behavioral health. What a joke. The place is so depressing and oppressive that if they use that money for a tenant led facilitator so they could start being a tenant led property. So much of the behavioral health would go away. Granted, there is some there. Okay, but if you empowered those tenants. And Charlotte Ross, your
0: time has expired.
15: Sure. To be regular citizens, it would be incredible. That's where the behavioral health money should go. Thank you for your comments.
3: The next speaker is Alex Zimmerman, and Alex is the last person signed up to speak.
0: Mr. Zimmerman.
13: Yes, thank you. Timer? Yeah, good. The my dory, damn Nazi fascist bandita and psychopath, a mafia cartel and anti-Semite. My name is Alex Zimmerman, I'm president of Stand Up America. You have right now rules what is don't bring sign. And I told you before, and I will tell you every meeting what is I can. So this is a pure violation of constitution, freedom of speech, and everything what is America have for two hundred and fifty years. Why this happen? Because you right now look exactly identical like Seattle fascist. Seattle fascism is number one fascism in America. Seattle, very unique city. No have analogy. I go and speak more than fifty years every day, have a dozen trespasses for twelve hundred days. Last four of October in Jewish holidays they give me trespass. They are psychopath. So my question right now. Why I come and speak right now, I speak to everybody who listen to me. Seattle never have freedom of speech, like you. Never. Or Bellevue, or Redmond, or Mesley Island, or another uh, city. From Tacoma to Veretta I speak a dozen times in different city. So, Seattle don't have freedom of speech. In country don't have freedom of speech. Seattle... School don't have freedom of speech. Seattle port don't have freedom of speech. Seattle Sound Transit Board don't have freedom of speech. PCRC don't have freedom of speech too. So everybody what is controlled right now in Seattle is controlled by this, yeah, what is I call them Nazi Gestapo democracy fascism. this very dangerous A new part right now of this because what is you did with sign, I never see like this before. But this not a point point right now, so people need to understand what's going on, because situation right now, economical, in deep, deep hole, almost every percentage American right now have trouble, you know what this means, it's a statistic, everywhere right now, so I ask you right now, guys, start be smart, you're supposed to be American, you're not supposed to be a freaking idiot, you need to stop this democracy fascism you know what it means this a uh, uh, a step what is next step will be total control this is exactly what has happened now and it's not surprise me so in this room everybody democrat so right now for uh, be elected you need be a democrat because you don't have chance so when we don't stop in this epicenter of fascism seattle our life will be worse and worse it never will be better example is sound transit Sound Transit, three, you know what what is mean? What is $100 billion for nothing? Or Seattle tunnel, $6 billion for nothing. How right now $100 million in debt. Stand up, America. Stand up for America, for Constitution. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments.
0: Is there anyone else tonight that wishes to address the council?
3: In the virtual audience, we have Taylor Oynes.
0: Taylor, please go ahead or we'll be promoting you.
19: Good evening, Council. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can. Please go ahead.
19: Thank you. Well, good evening, Council. Thank you for the opportunity to speak and address you. I'm Taylor and me and my mom own Ivy on Park Lane. And I'm calling in regards to the additional $25,000 that we are addressing tonight about the study to close Park Lane permanently. I am, uh, excuse me, (laughs) we are against the uh, closure and we are against the additional $25,000. Two years ago, we put together a detailed list of deferred maintenance that needs to be addressed on the street, including broken ballards, sinking sidewalks, broken benches, broken bike racks, planter beds with no plants, a sprinkler system that doesn't work, and that's just on Park Lane, not including the additional deferred maintenance throughout the downtown, that we believe the $75,000 or the additional $25,000 could be put to a better use. Personally, as a business owner, we feel as though the hits just keep coming. Four months of stagnant sales initially for the redo of the street in 2016 to turn into festival like street which we have yet to see it completely activated and as far as how the funds were allocated for the infrastructure we can't even plug in led christmas lights without the entire street short-circuiting then two years of covid now we have the threat of the street being shut down with a recession on our heels and the loss of 17 parking stalls the 17 parking stalls we believe are actually more than 17 parking stalls seeing as though during they turn over five times a day which would equate to 595 times a week 2300 times a month and 28,000 times annually so you can't we believe that that would negatively affect our business as long as the other business and we put together and i believe the council has it that uh every street uh was actually opposed to the permanent closure and with the exception of one business, which we couldn't reach the owner. We've also uh, gotten together with our landlords and there wasn't a single landlord who was aware of the street closing and they were very troubled by it, including us, which we don't feel is fair because when we signed our lease eight years ago, we signed the lease with the understanding that there would be parking and there would be access for vehicles in the front and in the back, which many of these buildings on Parkland are very old, including ours. For example, we have three back doors that lead to the alley versus one front door, and our front door is actually four inches wider. So some uh, shipments we can only receive through the front of the store. And also, we believe this council has talked a lot about equity, and we've talked a lot about, you know, Kirkland being for everybody, but is it really for everybody if we eliminate that many parking stalls? Mr. Reynos,
0: I'm sorry, your time has expired thank you for your comments um, we w- if there are other points to be made we would uh, love to hear them via email or through the um our kirkland app
19: all right thank you appreciate it
0: thank you is there anyone else that wishes to address this council seeing none i will declare items from the audience closed that brings us to item seven of our agenda special presentations the touchless water fountain presentation
4: city manager Okay, Uh, thank you Deputy Mayor. I'm gonna introduce Beth Goldberg, our Deputy City Manager of Operations, who also oversees uh, facilities. She's gonna introduce our very special guest and our opportunity here. Um, So welcome Beth. Good evening
8: council members. Uh, I am uh, Beth Goldberg, Deputy City Manager, and it is my privilege to introduce Anika Joshi tonight. She uh, is the inventor of SipSafe, which you will see in a moment. She is 15 years old and a student at Tesla STEM. And um, I look forward uh, to hearing her presentation.
20: So during the pandemic, I noticed that water fountains were closed to prevent the spread of touch-based diseases. And this is what inspired me to start working on this project when the pandemic hit us. As I believed very strongly, there had to be a cost-effective and eco-friendly solution to this problem. So I went to the Kirkland Library and learned how to make hardware devices. I learned about Arduino and I made several prototypes of a device that could fix this problem. After two years and over 50 failed attempts, I made what is now SipSafe. SipSafe is a patent-pending device that snaps onto the regular water fountain and instantly makes a touch-based water fountain touchless, preventing the transmission of bacteria and viruses that takes place due to shared contaminated surfaces like buttons. SipSafe uses a combination of distance sensors, servos, and adjustment controls to sense when someone approaches the water fountain for a drink. As soon as you are near the water fountain, SipSafe turns the fountain on. SipSafe is a battery-operated, low-energy, eco-friendly device that just snaps onto water fountains. It requires no installation and is ready to use right away. It also requires no additional plumbing or electrical costs at all. It has an average battery life of one year, and it runs on four AA batteries, it requires no ongoing maintenance. It also eliminates use of plastic water bottles and increases the safe use of water fountains in our community. So even as life gets back to normal, water fountains continue to spread germs and illnesses in our community. Although I got my idea for SipSafe during the the pandemic, this device is as relevant for viruses like influenza and rotavirus. Studies have connected rotavirus, the most common cause of diarrhea in toddlers, with water fountain services and daycare facilities. According to the Water Quality and Health Council, buttons on water fountains are one of the most contaminated surfaces in schools. I feel that eventually all water fountains should be either replaced or retrofitted to make them touchless. I
4: have a short video presentation that follows the presentation.
20: Did you know that the buttons on the average water fountain have more germs than a public toilet seat? It would be much safer to have a touchless fountain. However, it takes thousands of dollars to buy a new touchless water fountain, not to mention the cost of plumbing. Introducing SipSafe. SipSafe is a snap-on device that instantly makes your water fountain touchless. No installation cost, just snap on and you're done. The water fountain is now touchless. It activates as soon as you approach for a drink. For less than $150, install SipSafe in your facility. Prevent the spread of disease and keep your community safe. SipSafe, make your water fountain touchless for less. Thank you.
0: Ms. Josie, this is fantastic. And I'm pleased to announce that the city intends to install one of the SipSafe devices on a pilot basis, likely in the... Lobby of City Hall. Thank
20: you so much.
0: And I'm wondering if we can invite you to come up uh, behind the podium so we can get a picture uh, with the full council. (laughs) <laughs> that is very exciting and for members of the public interested in SIPSAFE, there's more information available in our packet
20: do you guys have any questions
0: council any questions okay. thank you okay thank you very much for coming this evening well done. nice job Next on our agenda is item 7B, the COVID-19 update. City Manager.
4: Okay, thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, so the primary update is related to unvaccinated firefighters. And as you saw from the packet, we have an MOU uh, with our uh, firefighter union that says that we will reinstate unvaccinated firefighters. Um, and the two things, one is if, there's any, if they do get vaccinated, and the other is if there's no longer any federal, state, or local requirement, the employee be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. On September 8th, Governor Jay Inslee announced that he was going to eliminate the state mandate for vaccination as of October 31st, 2022, and we told the council and the public that we'd be evaluating whether there's any local requirements, including local requirements by Kirkland. Um, Since our last update, and again, we included in your packet, we um, were reminded by King County that there's actually a county mandate that any contractor with King County also be fully vaccinated. And the city of Kirkland and all other fire departments in King County contract with King County to provide basic life support services. Um, And the county executive has uh, put out information that says he is gonna continue that contracting mandate. And then we have determined through our legal analysis that that continues to apply to the city of Kirkland beyond the October 31st deadline. So we have a local mandate in place. Um, In addition, our fire chief and others, we've been uh, talking with the, Medical directors of Seattle and King County who provide the medical directorship for our basic life support system and the King County EMS system. And neither of them have changed their recommendation that non-vaccinated firefighters provide medical services and EMT services. So based on those two factors, we have concluded that there's still a local mandate in place and there's still also a reason for concern. And so we don't feel the MOU has been met and we will not be reinstating the firefighters after October 31st, unless those conditions change. Uh, the final factor i wanted to mention and i'm happy to answer any questions is we also have a requirement that any new hire for the city of kirkland also be vaccinated there is a possible exception through an appeal to the city manager but that's also a mandate we have for any new employee for kirkland so uh, with all those factors combined um, just wanted to inform the council and the public that um, at this point we will not be reinstating any firefighter that's not vaccinated thank you any any questions?
0: questions council member nixon
10: um, thanks. Um, not so much a question, but I just wanted to express um, my dismay at, at this. Um, I think it's very unfortunate uh, that the county executive has chosen to not follow the governor's lead in canceling the executive order mandating vaccinations. Um, I think you all know from the start, I have felt that there should be no mandates around COVID and no mandatory closures of businesses no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates. Um, Particularly on vaccine mandates, I I, I believe to the best of my knowledge, every member of this council believes that bodily autonomy is an important value. And I believe that should extend to what substances people are required to have injected into their bodies. Um, Rather than mandates, the focus should be on informing people about the value of distancing, masking, and vaccination. People should be vaccinated. I want that to be clear, that's my position. But people should not be compelled to be vaccinated. Um, If it was up to me, we would drop the vaccine mandate and rehire any firefighters who want to be rehired. Um, But since it sounds like to do that, we would have to give up receiving EMS funding from King County and that would blow a significant hole in our fire department budget. We can't do that now. Um, But we should do it at the earliest opportunity. Thank you.
0: Any other questions or comments?
4: Thank you. you. Um, And then my only other comment is a reminder that we also made a recommendation that we would stop having COVID-19 as a special presentation on the agenda starting in the November 1st council meeting. So, um, But anytime a new issue arises, we'll certainly be able to cover that under city manager report or other updates, but uh, we'll be removing it from the council agenda. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Mayor.
0: You're good. That takes us to the consent calendar. Before we have a motion, I'd like to ask council Member Nixon to present the audit of accounts.
10: Thank you, deputy mayor. We have payroll in the amount of $3,597,416.80 and bills in the amount of $5,372,082.74.
0: Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the consent calendar?
1: So moved. Second.
0: It's been moved by Councilmember Falcone and seconded by Councilmember Curtis. Are there any uh, questions or comments? Councilmember Nixon.
10: Uh, Thank you, Deputy Mayor. I request that we pull item 8H1 from consent and consider it separately on our business agenda.
0: Item 8H1 will now be item uh, 9E on our business agenda. So is there any discussion on the consent calendar with that item pulled? Seeing none, the question is on the motion to approve the consent calendar. All those in favor say aye.
12: Aye. 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 Aye.
0: Any opposed? Say no. The consent calendar is approved. On to our business agenda. Item 9A, amending the Kirkland Municipal Code business license fee. City Manager.
4: Okay. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. So, uh, this is a topic that's been before you several times throughout the year, and uh, what we have in front of you is potential action to raise the revenue-generating regulatory license fee. Um, As you may have seen from the recent announcement that the budget documents are now available to the council and are posted on the website, Uh, the revenues from this fee are assumed in the budget process, and so uh, here to give you a presentation on the ordinance itself is our finance and administration director, Michael Olson, and we're happy to answer any questions.
0: Welcome, Michael.
21: Thank you for your patience. You're going to bring it up on the screen. No worries. Mm-hmm. I came in person so I would avoid doing this in my office. And now <laughs> I'm doing it here. I apologize. <laughs>
4: so, say thank you to Councilmember Kelly Curtis, who brought the physical books to the council members who wanted them from the budget. <laughs> and, uh, those of you who didn't want the hard copy, the budget is now posted online. Be accessed by the public or the council. Oh.
0: Working feverishly to get
21: almost there. The
0: finance director's presentation, yeah. both in the room and on Zoom.
21: <laughs> I, I dare say the presentation will be shorter than the preparation. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. No problem. Uh, I have a brief presentation regarding the um, revenue-generating regulatory fee. Uh, the pro- uh, ordinance before you is a proposal to increase the um, threshold to the exemption to the RJRL from uh, 12,000 to 20,000 and increasing the fee itself from $105 per employee to $130. This was previously discussed at the council on July 19th, 2022, and at the public hearing, the revenue public hearing on October 4th, the business license and other revenue options were analyzed with a sustainability and equity lens with a consultant from Econ Northwest, which resulted in the increases that are proposed. Uh, the consultant stated that they recommended the scenario uh, the recommended scenario would be as simple to administer and horizontal, horizontally equitable and that all businesses business pairs will face the same increase. The fee was last increased in 2017, and this recommended increase is less than the inflationary increase. An inflationary increase would bring it to 134 and, and the recommendation is 130. Also, the recommended increase in the exemption threshold is greater than the inflation. If we raise the exemption only by inflation, it would be just over $18,000, and the recommendation is up to 20. So the increased RGRL fees um, are proposed in the budget to protect the city's investments in high priority areas, street maintenance work. Um, It's a top priority in the community survey, and the new new revenue would preserve the existing service levels for the street maintenance so uh that's it the next step is to uh to discuss the ordinance and have any questions first uh any questions
0: for director olson seeing none do i have a motion council member black
11: thank you deputy mayor uh, i move adoption of an ordinance amending um, section 7.02 dot Actually, was it
0: we need to make a motion to the um, base ordinance first you want to do that
11: that is, that is it i believe
0: oh sorry i you said amendment i um
11: i, I think it's because it's I'm an sorry. update my, my the,
0: mistake please go ahead
11: that's okay i will um i'll read directly an ordinance uh i move uh, adoption of an ordinance of the city of Kirkland relating to amending section 7.02.160 of the Kirkland municipal code regarding the revenue generating regulatory license fee
1: second
0: Thank you. It's been moved by Councilmember Black, seconded by Councilmember Falcon. Discussion, Councilmember Black. Uh,
11: thank you. I'll be supporting um, the motion, and um, I'll also be uh, proposing an amendment. Deputy Mayor, would you like me to make that, amend- that motion now? Please. Um, I move uh, to amend the pending ordinance O-4816 uh, at e-page 96, line 138, which is. KMC 7.02.160, subsection C, by striking out $105 and inserting in its place $130 and also by striking out base fee wherever it appears and inserting basic license fee in lieu thereof and by further striking out $100 wherever it appears before the phrase base fee.
2: Second.
0: Okay. It has been moved and seconded to amend pending ordinance 04. uh 816 uh to um uh correct the the number and correct the language uh council member black you want yeah just to quickly
11: motion? speak in favor of the um amendment the purpose of the amendment is to make some uh, technical corrections uh to the proposed ordinance 04816 we are updating uh section 7.02.160 there's some further uh, changes clarifications and cleanup that can be done and that's the purpose of the amendment
0: very good. Any further discussion? Okay, all in favor of Councilmember Black's amendment to ordinance 04, uh, <laughs> ordinance 04816. signify by saying aye. aye.
11: Aye. 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 Aye.
0: Any opposed, say no. The amendment passes. The question is now on the motion to approve as amended, ordinance ordinance O four eight one six relating to amending section 7.02.160 of the Kirkland Municipal Code regarding the revenue generating regulatory license fee any further discussion councilmember
9: pascal thank you deputy mayor so like other business owners in the city um you know this obviously has direct impacts uh with those that have businesses with employees um the business that i partially own has over 50 so it's not it's not a small thing that we, uh, the, when you raise the, the head tax, but I mean, it's not a large uh, impact, but it, it can be a, a small impact uh, on, on many. Um, but the way I look at it is that there's two, there's several ways that we tax our businesses as a local government. One, property tax. Uh, two, sales tax. And the third can be a head tax or a B&O tax. And Kirkland has chosen uh, the head tax, unlike other local communities. Um, and I favor the head tax as a business owner over a B&O because I think that is much more unequitable uh, taxing gross revenues. Um, so I'm, I'm um, proud that we have gone down this way in how we choose to tax businesses, unlike some of our neighbors. And um, I think this is a smart, modification to our tax uh, in that we're looking at how inflation is affecting uh, the way that we provide services uh, both to our businesses and our residents and the visitors to our businesses. And so um, I'll be supporting be supporting this. Thank you.
0: Other comments? Councilmember
10: Nixon. Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, I'll, I will also be supporting it as well. Um, it's n- not often that I support a tax increase. But um, in this case, the, the fact is that the costs for the city are rising in many ways faster than the rate of consumer inflation. Uh, our biggest costs tend to be in labor benefits and um, construction costs, all of which uh, have gone up significantly. And so additional revenue is needed. Um, I do want to highlight um, that the ordinance increases the head tax at less than the rate of inflation, and it increases the exemption for small businesses by more than the rate of inflation, and uh, and so I think that in those regards, it's it's very fair, and so I urge support. Thank you.
0: Further comments? Okay. With that, we'll proceed to vote. Clerk. Would you please call the roll?
3: Councilmember Nixon? Yes. Councilmember Black? Yes. Councilmember Curtis? Yes. Councilmember Falcone? Yes. Councilmember Pascal? Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold.
0: Yes. Ordinance 04816 and its summary as amended is approved. That takes us to item B, proposed amendments to the Kirkland Municipal Code, Chapter 7.02 related to business licenses. Manager.
4: Okay, uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. So, this one is related to the same section, but there's a few policy changes and uh, some updates. And we thought the council might not be ready to act on it tonight, so I wanted to give you the option of discussing it tonight and bringing it back for final action at the November 1st council meeting in the case there was other items that we missed. So, here to give you an update on the proposed changes is once again our finance director, Michael Olson.
21: Good evening again. Uh, once again, a, a brief uh, presentation and with no ordinance at the end. Um, This code was last updated in 2018 and 2019. In 2018, because we joined the business licensing service with the state of Washington and had to change our language to match theirs, and then in 2019 again, we updated the language on short-term rentals, modified the penalties and exemptions list. Uh, But in that intervening time, we've had discussions with council and staff and the business community, and to be responsive to that, we are uh, we have reviewed chapter 7.02 and are proposing some other changes for uh, responsiveness and clarity and readability. In the definitions, and I'll just go through them one at a time, uh, very briefly. This is in the definition section, 7.02030. The added language is to improve clarity and the elimination is to remove redundancy. Stop me if you have any questions. Um, in 7.02040, This is to add language that multiple licenses aren't required for the long-term rental of single-family residences. We have a requirement that uh, a business get a license for each location. But if one homeowner has three houses and only has has three different locations but doesn't have a UBI for each house, they only have to get one license. So we're trying to save um, single-family residential owners some money on the business license. In 7.02080, this uh, additions and subtractions includes uh, improves the readability and clarifies certain requirements um, in the application. It modifies the information required from the applicant so that we can communicate with them better, and we have a better information in our in our system. In 7.02120, the basic license fee, it just removes old language and it uh, prior to the business licensing service and adds clarity uh, for the license requirements. And uh, the RGRL discussion is just moving some sections from one place to another so they're all together. Um, this section is moving to 7.02190 to improve the readability and then 702 190 is the penalties. Uh, we had only listed a penalty for getting your business license late, but it didn't include late renewals, but we have the same penalties for the late renewal practice, so we added language here, for um, late renewals, and then changed the order of some, put the, my authorization to remove late fees for um, excusable neglect or extreme hardship to the end of this section. And we have had a section for under-reporting hours and under-reporting hour, uh, employees and then i could waive the fees so uh it's a time for review and feedback from council there may be other sections um, and we'll return to council with an ordinance on november 1st
0: okay this is a discussion item any questions or comments on this item council member black
11: thank you deputy mayor uh so uh, one quick question uh, for those uh, members of our public who might have been looking very closely at our amendments. Um, they might have noticed in uh, Section 7.02.120 that we left the um, $12,000 minimum threshold there and uh, did not change that to the 20000 My understanding, so this is the question, and then I'll have a recommendation, but the recommendation will probably be obvious depending on the answer to the question. Uh, but the intent, the city staff's intent is that the small business minimum threshold of 20000 that uh, that we just approved for the RGRL is what should also apply to the basic license fee of $100. Is that correct?
21: That is the intention, yes.
11: Okay. So then in the uh, proposed ordinance that comes back to us for November 1st, we'll also make... We'll also
21: make that correction.
11: And then um, we just made, uh, the council just made some technical um, corrections uh, to uh, the last ordinance regarding the RGRL. Um, I would recommend that we make sort of the same technical corrections to make sure we're just for readability and future interpretation that we're using a consistent term, basic license fee, every time we refer to that, what is now a $100 basic license fee
21: yes we will go through the ordinance and apply that to all occurrences
11: okay great thank you
21: great uh councilmember falcon
1: thank you deputy mayor well thank you michael this is (coughs) some good detailed information i like it um i have a question about the proposed update to kmc 7.02.040 e3 the business license required um where we this is what you um had presented on on slide four about long-term rental businesses that have a place of business in a single family residence and that have multiple ones um would this apply to um some of our uh, missing middle housing so if there was an adu or a duplex or a triplex how would this apply and do we need to change the language so that it would apply
21: um It may need to change the language to apply because uh, it depends if uh, they have a UBI number or a business license with the state for one place or multiple places, Um, we could apply the same language. As long as you have one um, business license with the state, we can have one business license with the city for the location.
1: Well, then I propose that we consider applying it to um, that type of housing as well in our city.
21: We can do that we can can discuss
1: that that, perhaps I'm looking at faces (laughs) (laughs) I think it's worth discussing
21: um,
1: because I can imagine there needs to be a cutoff or a threshold at some point right but I can imagine someone who owns a duplex and a single-family home and they occupy one part of the duplex and they are renting out the other side of the duplex and renting out the other single-family home Mm -hmm. as it currently is worded it would seem like it would not apply to that but I feel like it should and so I think we it's worth just finessing the language to um, to capture that certainly we wouldn't want you know very large multifamily housing complexes that are multiple ones in the city for it to apply to that I don't think that's the intent um, but I do think that some of that missing middle housing that it I my opinion is that I would like to see it apply to that but I'd like to at least discuss it
21: and, uh, again, um, we would look at each property to see if the owner has a UBI, a separate business license with the state. So some people have multiple locations, and they're actually running a rental business where they have multiple locations, and they have separate licenses. But for those that don't, we could put it under one umbrella. We yes. manage
4: um, and yeah, so just to make sure i'm clarified to make sure we're talking about it so what you're focused on councilman falcon i believe is where it says in a single family residence yeah. you're saying if the resident lives at the top of a duplex they wouldn't quite fall under this we want to make sure it captures that correct so, i
1: don't want us to exclude that type of situation
4: okay so it's not the rest of the language it's the fact that if someone lives in the adu and runs out the house they wouldn't automatically be excluded from this Flexibility,
1: yes, and okay. I think it's both references to single-family residents that I would want to explore. Thank you.
4: I think that's great.
10: Thank you. Great, Councilmember Nixon. Well, so just to clarify that, then, what if somebody owns two duplexes? Do they pay one business license fee, or would they have to pay two? Uh, I'm curious as to what your feeling is uh, on that, Councilmember Falcone. My um, my feeling is that under the missing middle housing ordinance and under our ADU ordinance, um, duplexes, triplexes and homes with ADU should still be considered single family homes because they're allowed in single family zones, right? And so that would mean that you could have multiples of those with a single, a single, single business license. And I think what Michael's saying is, if they in fact have a single business registered with the state, then that could easily apply um, but I don't know if there should be a threshold. What if somebody has 20 duplexes that they're renting out? Um, and it doesn't matter if they're incorporated or if they're sole proprietorship, uh, form of business organization. I, I, I'm not sure where you draw the line in terms of it being you know, a, a small landlord versus a commercial business of owning multiple homes and, and renting them out.
1: Thank you. Husband. That's a good question. So, I, I mean, I would think that we would apply the same way that we would if someone has 20 single family homes that they're renting out. Right. And so if it's in fact the case that you said that this reference to single family residents legally applies to all of our missing middle housing, then I would just like it to be clarified in here in the language, just so that it's really transparent and really crystal clear to whoever's reading it.
10: Please. Can I ask one more question of Michael? Does the language that the staff proposed today uh, have any cap on the number of single-family residences that could fall under this? All it says is additional single-family residential locations, so that sounds like there's no cap.
21: There's no cap as long as they don't have a separate business license with the state for each
10: one. So it could be duplicates, triplexes, ADUs, whatever. Okay. thanks.
4: But we just want to clarify that we would need to clarify that language because it's not in the code, it doesn't automatically say single family residence equals missing middle housing section. So we'd have to tweak that a little bit.
0: Okay. Sounds like
4: Councilmember Curtis, please.
2: Thank you. I just want to make sure I'm tracking. So it sounds like what is, is causing us a problem is the term single family. So we need new language around that which I appreciate you bringing that up because we shouldn't be assumptive that we're always talking about single family residency. Okay, Thank you.
0: Okay. And Michael, you've mentioned single UBI number. Um, If we go to a point where we're allowing multiple UBI numbers and a single Kirkland business license, it sounds like there's some complexity there. We need some more information if we're crossing a line that's
21: a problem. We would need to research how we would administer that. Can make make some proposals.
0: Okay. So um, it sounds like we'd like to see some more information (laughs) on missing middle housing, and then some some options if things get messy from there. Council, anything else as far as direction on this topic? Michael, do you have what you need?
21: Thank you. Appreciate your feedback.
0: Uh, next, we move on to item C: Proposed 2023-2024 utility rates. City Manager.
4: Okay, thank you, Deputy Mayor. So we do not have a formal presentation, but John McGilvery, um, our utility policy and communications supervisor, here is to answer any questions. All of the ordinances reflect the rates, counts, the council utility rate uh, fee increases the council approved at our last meeting. So uh, Mr. McGilvery is here to answer any questions about any of the rates, if you have them. Councilmember Nixon. Uh, thank you, Deputy
10: Mayor. I move that we adopt ordinances 4817, 4818, 4819, and 4820, which respectively establish solid waste, water, sewer, and surface water utility rates for 2023 and 2024 as previously presented to the council.
1: Second. It's
0: been moved by Councilmember Nixon and seconded by Councilmember Falcone to pass ordinance. Uh, 48, 17, 18, 19, and 20, setting the various utility rates. Is there any discussion? And I would note, if anybody has an objection, a motion for division is always in order. Seeing no questions or comments, the question is on the motion to approve ordinance 0417, uh, 0418, 0419, and uh Sorry. <laughs> Ordinance four, uh, 4817, 4818, 4819, and 4820, and they're publishing summary, amending uh, various sections of the Kirkland Municipal Code to change utility rates for the respective utilities.
4: Remember, I, just, I missed the second. Did we have the second on that? We did. We did. We did. Okay. That's
0: my refuel did second. Any further discussion? Seeing none, clerk, will you please call the roll?
3: Councilmember Member Nixon. Yes. Council Member Black. Yes. Council Member Curtis. Yes. Council Member Falcone. Yes. Council Member Pascal. Yes. Deputy Mayor Arnold.
0: Yes. The ordinances are approved. Excellent. That takes us Thank to... John. <laughs> to item D, the 2023... Thank you, John. Uh, and it's a reflection on uh, the details in the memo and John's previous... Uh, very helpful presentations that takes us to item d the 2023 draft state legislative priorities discussion
4: city manager okay thank you deputy mayor so this is offered tonight for discussion Uh, this is a product from the city manager and the legislative work group Uh, for your consideration i here to make the presentation is our management analyst carly jerker welcome
16: carly
22: all right thank you city manager um good evening deputy mayor and members of the council my name is carly jorger i'm a management analyst and i will present your draft 2023 legislative priorities uh, this evening Uh, so we are looking for your feedback and input on uh, the draft priorities and how the city should position itself during the next uh, 2023 legislative session so uh, i have Ten slides this evening, most of those will focus on the uh, exact proposed language. Um, And then I've got two that are just a brief uh, background overview and framing for the rest of our conversation. Uh, So with that, I'll start with the uh, structure of your legislative agenda. So there are three elements. Element number one is the general principles. The general principles guide and focus the city's activities during session. Element number two is your legislative priorities. And this is everything else that is listed under the guiding principles in uh, your one pager that's attached to your packet. These legislative priorities are the key focus of the city during session and determines how your resources are uh, invested. So the time of your city manager, your three work group members, contract lobbyists, and staff uh, are determined by what is listed here in your legislative priorities. And then element number three is the support agenda. Uh, So this I I won't discuss this um, in the presentation this evening, but rather we'll bring this back to the council to consider adopting uh, at your first regular meeting in January. And the support agenda is where we will discuss bills and topics that uh, the city would like to support but are championed by our allied organizations. And so before I move into the general principles, I wanted to do just a quick overview of the three phases um, that we went through to develop your legislative agenda. Uh, First, we started with gathering ideas. Uh, And this actually started at the end of last session, tracking bills um, that uh, we supported but didn't didn't go anywhere or uh, couldn't couldn't pass through before the end of session. Uh, And then we solicited feedback from directors and managers over the summer uh, on what items they think we should consider, including in our legislative priorities. Uh, your contract lobbyists were also monitoring the association of washington city's legislative committee as they are putting together their state agenda and then lastly staff had one-on-one meetings with uh, all of your peer council members to seek their input on what you'd like to see in your agenda Uh, next we brought all of those ideas back to your legislative work group uh, for discussion and then we heard from our lobbyists and they advised on what we were hearing down in Olympia, what might be politically palatable during this upcoming session. After that, your city manager narrowed down the list and brought that back to the work group for final review. And then that brings us to uh, tonight, where we're seeking the full council's input uh, and feedback on the draft priorities. Uh, looking ahead, you'll see this topic brought back to you at your November 1st uh, meeting. And then the goal is to have that adopted before we start having our legislative coffees with members of our legislative delegation. Those will start in mid-November, run through mid-December, and then a session begins in early January. All right, so now we can get into the fun part, starting with your general principles. Um, So the language uh, is up here on the slide. And there is one recommendation for the council uh, out of the legislative work group. And that recommendation is actually an extension of some action that you took last year, which was to add housing into that third bullet point. Uh, This year, the work group's recommending striking housing and instead creating a fourth standalone bullet point that uh, really encapsulates the the essence of what we're trying to achieve with the housing uh, principle. So if the council is supportive, the fourth general principle would read that Kirkland supports legislation that provides access to housing and increases the construction and preservation of housing supply that meets a diverse range of incomes and needs. Uh, So Deputy Mayor, I'll just pause here and see if any of the workgroup members have anything they'd like to add or if there's any questions from the council
0: work group is chaired by Councilmember Curtis. Do you have anything to add?
22: I do,
2: and thank you, Deputy Mayor, and thank you, Carly. Um, I the, the work group is very proud to present this agenda to Council for their feedback. Uh, we are a three-legged cart right now, uh, missing Lori McKay, but Carly has done a brilliant job of stepping up with also with support with Andriana Campbell. It was really clear to the legislative work group all we've talked about this past year is housing and the need for affordable housing and increasing the supply. So it was really clear to uh, the legislative work group that this required its own bullet to call out, so that it's very clear in our, um, our intent. And um, based on council feedback on some of their priorities, such as uh, condo conversion, tenant protections, HOA, ad- annul- or addressing HOA restrictions, The potential for home sharing uh, we felt like those elements would fit um, with within this bullet thank you
0: are any comments or questions about the general principles great okay please continue
22: thank you all right next that that will take us into your legislative priorities so i have i have them categorized into four areas i'll walk through each one the first is related to housing. The second is behavioral health. The third actually has three different priorities within it related to your resolution 5550, uh, gun safety and the environment. And then the last one is capital funding. So I'll walk through each one and then pause uh, Deputy Mayor for any council uh, questions or discussion. Okay, so the first draft priority is about housing and there's, there's two uh, items here. The first one is um, the same, not very similar to what was on your agenda last year related to uh, property tax exemption for uh, accessory dwelling units. And then your second one here is actually a recommendation that has come from uh, the Regional Coalition for Housing or ARCH board uh, about adding um, a new real estate excise tax increment to each of its member cities' legislative agendas. And so I'll, again, I'll pause if there's any questions or um work group member input
0: questions or comments council member curtis
22: may i deputy mayor thank you um
2: so the dadu exemptions and last year we focused on accessory dwelling units feedback we got from the assessor is it may need to be detached accessory dwelling units that is a repeat of a bill we ran last year that we expect to run again Um, as you saw from the arch letter uh, a number of cities are speaking in support of a fifth tier of REIT. This is not a bill that Kirkland will be leading. Um, there is a bill coming forward from the Housing Development Consortium uh, sponsored by Representative Chop. Um, and we will, as the session goes forward, we will keep Council apprised on how that bill develops. We have not seen a bill yet.
0: Any comments or questions?
4: Uh, Deputy Mayor, can I just add Please. one other element? So, uh, City of Kirkland was interested in us, and I, as City Manager, I proposed this language mm. prior to the ARCH action. Arch, The ARCH language has an element of progressivity to it, and the ARCH board discussion, we talked about the possibility of tiering or having uh, a threshold at which the the new real estate excise tax was set, and maybe different amounts as the value of a home goes higher. So. Uh, that's the only reason that's not in here is that this was not, this was before the draft that I first did was before the arch action. So if anyone has questions about
11: what they had versus what we had, that's why they're different.
18: Any,
0: any comments on that? Councilmember Black?
11: Black. Uh, just a quick question. So um, city manager, um, your interpretation of this language is that it would give the city of Kirkland flexibility to support either oh. um, a new tier of REIT that is progressed or not progressed. I think this is a little broader, but so, yeah, it just didn't have that specific element called out, but I
4: think it would encompass it. But if the council wants to refine it, you could.
11: Yeah. I mean, so I I mean, I think the fact that this encompasses all uh, possibilities just, it makes uh, good sense.
0: And I will add a comment that uh, given the opportunity, I think that the ARCH recommendation for a progressive, Tax on this would be helpful to say let's be focusing this on the multi million dollar homes and the luxury condos to, to help change some of the market forces that are driving the escalation here. But I don't think it's a requirement that needs to be in the, the priority itself. But if there is that opportunity, I hope the work group would um, help amplify the arch recommendation. Okay, seeing nothing. Um, seeing nothing further,
22: next. All right. Uh, the second uh, category here is behavioral health. Um, and so there's two, uh, two bullet points up on the screen here, and both of these are um, would, would support the city of Kirkland in our efforts to staff um, our community responder program, the upcoming new regional agency with our, uh, the, the Radar City Partners, uh, as well as the potential. To put mental health professionals in our dispatch center so this these two are related to um, supporting a, a robust behavioral health services uh, sector uh, you'll note there is no uh, crisis clinic ask here although that is related to behavioral health and we just have that tucked under the capital funding section
0: Questions or comments council member
2: thank you there there is not a lot to add here We, as allegedly, work group have been working really hard on these issues prior to session. I do want to point out that on the second bullet, um, we are well aware of workforce development, recruitment, uh, retention, and funding and training. And I will say that our delegation is also focusing on that.
0: Great to hear, Councilmember Black.
11: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, Just to sort of help crystallize and clarify for our 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 public who's watching and listening uh when it uh maybe city manager if i can direct this question to you when it comes to uh immunity for metal, medical medical malpractice claims there are first responders in the state of washington that are provided immunity for the care that they provide in responding to emergencies in the uh in the community for example uh police and fire is that true
4: that, that's correct
11: and so, this—the uh, idea of this immunity is a lot. It, you could uh, you could argue a logical extension of that same uh, immunity uh, for providing medical services in the field in response to a crisis. Yeah,
4: that's correct. I guess the small nuance I'd say is that they wouldn't be providing actual medical services. And so, one of the issues about why we're trying to figure out exactly what to amend is there's no clear language in the RCW that's easy to amend because they're sort of betwixt and between first responders, but that's exactly the same idea. They'll be providing really critical mental health crisis response, and we think they need to have immunity from liability for doing that, so that's what we want to clarify.
11: Okay, thank you.
0: Okay, seeing no further comment, next.
22: Okay. All right, Uh, this next category is um, uh, potential legislation. So at this time, we're not aware of any specific bills um, that are related to these three different bullet points, but the work group was interested in adding these to the agenda um, so that if and when a bill uh, drops related to these, uh, we'd be well-positioned to engage. Um, So the first one uh, is related to the uh, policy position um, of the city council that was in your Resolution 55. 50 related to um, access to reproductive health care and codifying marriage equality. The second one is language lifted from last year's support coalition agenda um, about gun safety measures and responsible gun ownership. And then your third one is language from the council goals related to protecting the natural environment.
0: Comments, Councilmember Curtis.
2: Thank you, Deputy Mayor, and thank you again, Carly. So the legislative work group felt strongly that these three issues needed to be elevated. And I'll speak to each one and then provide time for more comments. One of the things that I want to stress is as council members, you will see bills coming forward. Um, Legislative work group does not have the power to decide what bills we're going to support. We make recommendations. Council decides what bills we're going to support. The reproductive health care, we passed resolution R5550. This bullet reflects that resolution. In the uh, when we pass the resolution, I expected that it to show up on our legislative agenda. Um, As talking to our delegation, we have a number of bills that we expect to keep come forward. One in particular is data privacy around menstrual cycles. Um, So uh, that support this this bullet supports our intent with resolution 5550, gun safety. Um, we chose to elevate it this year. As we all know, we have, are seeing in our community an increase of gun violence. We expect bills to come forward on gun violence. One of the ones that one of our delegations spoke about was um, a bill that would not allow guns to be returned to uh, individuals that have been convicted of domestic violence. Um, and another one is hunting, holding gun manufacturers liable from, for harm that happens uh, with gun violence. The last one, um, climate really sweeps together a lot of the elements that Council said were their priorities, such as addressing leaf blowers, stretch building codes, energy efficiency, and then again, we expect HB 1099 to come forward under another bill number this year. Um, so we felt like uh, climate resilience, climate mitigation, sustainability needed to be elevated on our agenda.
0: Thank you. Councilmember Member Nixon.
10: Uh, Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, Well, I support the entire proposed agenda with the exception of the first sub-bullet here. Um, I'm sure everyone remembers I opposed Resolution 5550. Uh, I still do. Um, If we're going to narrowly our focus, narrowly focus our agenda on critical Kirkland issues, then abortion and same-sex marriage don't belong in it. They're not specific to Kirkland. Um, We don't need to have issues on which the community is very divided in our legislative agenda. Um, As I've previously stated uh, in the arguments on 5550, individual council members are free to go to Olympia and argue their personal positions on these issues. But most importantly, in my opinion, it's extremely unlikely that the required two-thirds majorities in both the House and the Senate for a constitutional amendment would be achieved. And so we should not have our staff spend time advocating for uh, proposed constitutional amendments for which there's little chance of success. Um, I will likely vote no on the entire legislative agenda if this subsection remains. Um, and I wanted to say on the third bullet, um, I would I would say that uh, maybe this is notes that somebody would keep, but, um, with regard to blowers, lawnmowers, et cetera, uh, we should be focused on encouraging and facilitating transition rather than on outright bans, which, of course, is the same thing I said about plastic bags that I didn't win that argument either, but I can always hope. Thank you.
0: Any further comments? Councilmember Falcom.
1: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Well, first off, Thank you so much to Carly um, and for my colleagues that serve in the legislative work group for this really great work. Um, The draft looks great. Um, I'm sure it's no easy job weeding through all of our feedback from (laughs) not only council but staff as well and focusing them in this succinct agenda. Uh, These draft priorities really align well with our values and our goals and what we know are their priorities um, and the needs in our community. So thank you. They are focused. So well done. Um, I appreciate the focus on housing, behavioral health, and the built-in flexibility to be ready to support legislation around gun safety, rights to marriage equality, and comprehensive reproductive health care, and sustainability and environmental issues. I do have one question. uh, Where we say that Kirkland supports legislation that addresses um, amendments to the Washington State and United States Constitution to codify an individual's right to comprehensive, safe, and accessible reproductive health care, including abortion, and to codify marriage equality, this is, as was already mentioned, of course, modeled after section two of R 5550 that we passed in July of this year. Can you share a little bit about why the draft agenda doesn't include language from section three as well um, that directly ties to state legislative action? Is this based on conversations with our lobbyists or our delegation or something else? Um, as a reminder, section three begins with the Kirkland City Council supports Washington state legislative actions that protect an individual's right to reproductive health care and abortion.
0: Carly, do you want to start with that, or Councilman Curtis, do you want to take that?
22: I um, actually might punt that over. The, the manager. manager.
2: No,
4: there, there was no deliberate intent to not include that. We just missed it.
2: Okay. That was an honest answer. And so
4: I that own, is and a I, fantastic
1: I answer to and my I own question. That. That. And I propose that we add that
2: so you're welcome in to there. make an Please. amendment
1: i yeah i don't think i need to make a formal motion because we're not voting on it tonight right. but if head nods if we're okay with uh, i don't know that i'm going to get head nods from everybody <laughs> but um i would like us to add that in because i think that's an important point as Councilmember nixon said he feels like having the two-thirds majority needed to actually um make the change that's in here um, to change the Washington state constitution is a bigger lift, and I think it's more feasible as well to have to show that we support legislation. So I'd like to have that included.
0: Question, Councilmember Falcone Are you suggesting yeah. replacing the first bullet with a more targeted language that was in that uh, section three of 5250?
1: I support having both in there, actually adding to what's there, because although I don't know how feasible it is now. I think it's a bolder statement to say that we want it to be codified in the Washington state United States constitution. So I would not want to back off from that, but I would like to add uh, our support for state legislation as well.
11: Council member black. Thank you, deputy mayor. Um, Good catch. Um, What I was going to suggest this, uh, so the, you know, the important um, foundation of this is that this is the stated position of the, the council. As adopted in R fifty five fifty, what I was going to suggest though is instead of um, stating both, if there's if our if our if our you know a masters of words on our staff could figure out a way to capture section two and three of R fifty five fifty in a single bullet point, um, I think that would be um, the best approach. Um, I realize we're talking both about um, uh, proposed. Uh, the legislators proposed amendments to the state constitution, um and I guess also Congress's uh, proposed amendments to the United States Constitution, um and also legislation, but maybe there's a way we can sort of capture that all in one nice succinct sentence. That it um but I do I, I would emphasize that it should be an accurate representation of what is already the stated position of the council as adopted in R fifty five fifty.
0: And I'm seeing four head nods for the record for having some wordsmithing on that to get to a concise statement. Council Member Falco.
1: Thank you, I agree, Council Black, that was my intent, was just in the same bullet, just adding that language,
0: thank okay. you. Very good, okay, capital funding.
22: All right, capital funding. Um, so this is just our initial list, um, may, may shift a little after we have our legislative coffees um, and see what uh, members of our delegation have in mind. Um, but for now, we have four projects on the agenda. Uh, the first is uh, uh, supporting capital funding for the North King County No Wrong Door Behavioral Health Crisis Receiving Center. Um, this is what we've been working on with the uh, other radar cities, uh, cities of Shoreline, Bothell, Kenmore, Lake Forest Park, um, for over a year now. And then the second one is the Hawk uh, Crossing Beacon at 132nd Place Northeast Slater Avenue. This was one that was on your agenda last year. Um, unfortunately, was was just unsuccessful, and so bringing it back uh, this go-around. The third one is for uh, the Kirkland Performance Center. The, the rigging that uh, operates the curtains and props uh, is at the end of its useful life and is a, just under a $2 million replacement uh, cost. Um, The last one is the bridge crossing of Denny Creek at Northeast Hunter 32nd Street. Again, this was on your um, agenda last year, um, and so bringing it back into the fold this year. And I'll pause there.
2: Council
0: any comments? Councilmember Curtis.
22: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um,
2: So I just want to share with Council that we have had a lot of conversations about uh, capital funding for the Crisis Response Center, and it's all been positive. I personally will be doing a full court press on the Hawk, which means that um, dragging legislators down there for a tour. And I just wanted to point out that uh, Kirkland Performance Center is now in the 48th. So, thank you.
0: Member Black.
11: Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. I was just going to quickly add, You know, although we do highlight uh, on this slide um, that certain of these projects uh, are in certain districts, I mean, really, uh, I was thinking a little bit more about the Hawk Crossing Beacon and just the, um, the extent to which it helps the entire region. Um, yes, the 45th, in the 45th, and yes, it serves a, a large uh, chunk of the 45th, including um, uh, connecting Redmond uh, residents in, in Redmond and Woodinville and um and whatnot it also connects to uh our neighbors to the south bellevue it's kind of this last little section right of uh safe cro- of uh, uh of a safe corridor um and it's kind of the icing on the cake of our um totem lake connector bridge um and it's really the same with the performance center right our Cook and performance center although it's in the 48th it serves our entire city and uh, all of our legislative districts so thanks
0: that's member Pascal
9: yeah, so as you, as you start meeting with the legisl- legislators and stuff, I'd ask that you, you invite other council members out for those, those, those mm-hmm. tours. And also um, uh, make sure to leverage the East Trail partners in that. I think that they'll be uh, great advocates on, on our behalf and, and the other agencies that are part of the, the coalition. Thank you.
0: Anything further? Carly, anything further?
22: uh no that that takes me to the end unless okay. there's any other questions or comments great no
0: okay. seeing none carly thank you i oh, sorry please councilmember pascal
9: yeah thank you thank you deputy mayor um so you know one of the items i was interested in um i mean i was interested in all of it but i was also kind of looking at the the attachment of the various issues that each of the council members raised because you know i uh, until I read that, I didn't really know where my fellow council members, what other issues they raised. So that was, and that's one of the attachments that's provided in the, in the packet. So that was great to have access to. I don't remember seeing that before, so that was helpful. One of the things that I'm, I'm interested in, and I know the, the community is, is around some of the public safety topics. Um, been hearing a lot about um, issues, about unintended consequences that have arisen from some of the the public safety reforms that have been enacted over the last couple years um, at the state level, some of those changes have appeared to uh, contribute at at some level, kind of unsure what level, but higher property crime rates. And so we we do hear from our retail uh, businesses, our auto dealers, our auto repair shops about um, uh, issues. And so I know like AWC is Going to be looking at sponsoring some legislation around that, the Blake decision clarification, and then also um, the vehicle pursuits issue. Um, so, just really interested in those support agenda items when, when they are released. Um, I'm also, I guess I would also ask the, the work group that when you do talk with uh, Senator Dingra and uh, Representative Goodman, that you specifically ask about what they're thinking. Um, because those that type of legislation will go directly through, I think, their committees, right? Um, and so it would just be nice to be kind of well-informed on on kind of what's what's happening there and then kind of report back to us, or at least me, because I'd be really interested <laughs> in some Murray. of that.
2: Thank you, Deputy Mayor, and thank you, Council Member Paschal. Um, yes, uh, the Blake decision and vehicular pursuits is on the AWC agenda and the SCA agenda, And as you saw from my SEA pick notes, the South King County cities are pushing really hard for this legislation. We haven't seen any bills yet, so it's difficult for the legislative work group to come forward with any sort of thoughts or recommendations. But we will be looking closely at bills, and as a council member, you will be able to see, you know, Chief Harris is here, her feedback on upcoming bills. So you have an opportunity to weigh in. But absolutely, we will be talking to our delegation about any sort of reform of police reform.
9: Well, and um, I think it also would be helpful. It doesn't have to be tonight, but at some point, uh, it would be good to just learn a little bit more from our police department about not about the bills and their opinions, but just a little bit of context of what we're seeing in in the city. uh, just in general just just to kind of kind of have that picture of how does Kirkland um, what what are we experiencing given that we know that some of our our South County neighbors are having some real uh, problems I just don't have a good feeling of what's happening here too. Is that something that we
0: could get yeah. thank you. Council member
1: Thank you deputy mayor I just want to make sure I'm understanding the process correctly so those types of issues that councilman Paschal just raised would put, could potentially be items on a support agenda, but there would be an opportunity for us to discuss at our January meeting. Correct. Yes.
8: Correct.
22: Thank you. Okay.
0: Carly, anything further?
22: No, thank you all.
0: Thank you very much for your work on this. Uh, great, great set, uh, great body of work. Very complicated. We, we've pulled together. Uh, that takes us to item 9E. This is former 8H1 from our consent agenda. Future of Park Lane, approved fiscal note. City Manager.
4: Okay, thank you, Deputy Mayor. So obviously this was on consent, so we don't have a formal presentation, but this is a request to approve Council Special Projects money, 75000 dollars to complete the park lane study for the options presented. So happy to answer questions from Councilman Nixon. And I know I have staff who are also watching who can help answer questions as well.
10: Okay.
0: Councilman. Yeah, Council, Council Member Nixon.
10: Uh, I'll, re, I'll reserve my comments for uh, after the motion is made and seconded.
0: Okay. okay. Do we have a motion to approve item 8H1, the fiscal note for the future of Park Lane? So moved. Second. It's been moved by Council Member Falcone, seconded by Council Member Curtis. Council Member Falcone, do you want to speak to your motion?
1: Thank you. Yes, this is a conversation that we've had um, with the community and as a council for quite some time, even before I joined council, I remember discussions in the community and being a part of it and hearing about Sundays on Park Lane, for example. Um, And I know that it dates back even prior to that. Um, So thank you to the community for this continued engagement, both stakeholders and community members. We as a council decided that we wanted to move forward to explore what the future of Park Lane could look like. There are in my perspective, a lot of um, exciting potential there on Park Lane. And uh, so this fiscal note would allow us to really do this job well of conducting this study so that we can make a thoughtful decision that really incorporates different positions, different perspectives, and different possibilities for the future of Park Lane. So I will be supporting it. Thank you.
10: Councilmember Nixon. Uh, Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, Well, as I think I've stated previously i don't think we should spend any more money going down the path of potentially closing park lane Um, we have a small group of residents uh, who do not like cars who want it to be closed but the businesses on park lane are united against it Um, we have many other needs for these funds including uh, as we heard in public comment tonight uh, paying for the deferred maintenance on park lane itself um we should simply declare that Park Lane was designed to be both a pedestrian and a vehicle street and leave it at that. Uh, we need closure on this and I will therefore vote no on this funding. Any further comment? Councilmember Curtis.
2: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. I will be voting yes on this motion and as Councilmember Falcone said, we did already have this conversation and I see this study as answering a lot of outstanding questions And Park Lane. Doesn't just impact the businesses on Park Lane. It's this is we're talking about an opportunity to do community building within the downtown core. I think this is uh, granted another twenty five thousand dollars. It doesn't thrill me, but I think this is money well spent, and um, we will have real answers as, to many of our questions. So I think it's the right thing to do.
0: Further comments. The question is on the motion to approve the fiscal note for the future of Park Lane study funds from the Council Special Projects Reserve. Uh, uh, All in favor, uh, signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? No. Motion passes. Okay, Council, we're to item 10 reports. We have a discussion on the legislative request memoranda and then uh, a potential uh, items from the audience. Do you want to take a break or do you want to power through? Okay, I'm seeing people want to power through. So that takes us to uh, um, item 10, City Council 10A, City Council Regional and Committee Reports. Council Member Nixon.
10: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, Just a couple of things. On Saturday, October 8th, Councilmember Black and I attended the NAMI Eastside Gala in Redmond, where our own deputy city manager, Beth Goldberg, was honored as a NAMI hero for her great work on uh, the issues of community responders and on citing a mental health crisis clinic on the east side. So congratulations once again to Beth. And on Saturday, October 15th, Uh, Deputy Mayor Arnold, Chief Harris, and I attended the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Iman Center uh, in Kirkland, um, where the city was presented a plaque in appreciation for helping them get established uh, in an inclusive and welcoming Kirkland. Uh, That plaque is in the council study. Um, Oh, and actually the Deputy Mayor has it (laughs) in his hand. And he may have further comments to, on this.
0: Uh, do you want to read it, please?
10: Uh, but that was, uh, we very much appreciated that, and we appreciated having the opportunity. Oh, here it is. Hold it up for the camera. <laughs> and please. Yeah, there's a oh, should I read it? Um, so it starts off with a Quran verse. Uh, it says, in the name of God, the entirely merciful, the especially merciful, O mankind, indeed, we have created you from the male and female and made you peoples and tribes that you may know one another. Indeed, the most noble of you in the sight of God is the most righteous of you. Indeed, God is knowing and acquainted. And that's from Quran 49, 13. Uh, Presented to the city of Kirkland, on our 25th anniversary, with deepest gratitude and appreciation, to all council members and staff who have helped us establish in an inclusive, welcoming Kirkland, signed by the Ithna Asheri Muslim Association of the Northwest October 2022. So that was very nice. And uh, it, it was a great event. We had many opportunities to chat with folks uh, uh, at the event. And uh, uh, we appreciate the
11: invitation from them.
10: Thank you.
0: Council Member Black.
11: Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. So let's see. Since our last meeting, I wanted to um, uh, mention, make mention of our of Kirkland's um, Health and Wellness Fair, which I know some of us, um, uh, more than more than two or three of us, attended, uh, held at Juanita High School, um, and that was uh, a wonderful event with a ton of um, community partners, uh, some of the city's Kirk, uh, community partners. Um, health care providers uh, uh, among other things there was an opportunity to get your flu shot um, and your bivalent COVID booster I did both um, and uh, so that was a wonderful event it was just really it seemed really well attended um, uh, a lot of I saw a lot of staff members uh, city staff members uh, working that event uh, busy uh, meeting with uh, people in the community and talking to folks in the community um, so appreciated that, and I wanted to call that out. Um, I also wanted to call attention uh, to my colleagues to a very interesting tour uh, that me, uh, council member Curtis and Councilmember member Falcone took of Lake Washington Technical Academy, which is not the Lake Washington Institute of Techno- or Technology Institute. It's the high school that is um, housed in the same um, space. And I had, um, I just uh, uh, happened to have an interesting conversation with the then dean of the academy, Um, and frankly this is about a couple months ago, I frankly didn't know that much about the academy, and um, so asked if uh, I could have a tour, um, and Councilmember Falcone and Curtis expressed their interest uh, in that tour. Um, I think our friends at Lake Washington uh, Technical Academy be, would welcome tours for any of our council members who are interested, and I found it extremely fascinating. Love seeing the facilities, hearing about the, the types of students and everything. So uh, I won't belabor that, but uh, that was exciting to learn about that program, and it, it truly is an exciting program, um, an opportunity for uh, families and students um, really around the region. Um and then the last thing, I'm going to let one of my colleagues who attended the K4C elected officials workshop um, highlight that. The, the only other thing I wanted to mention, uh, I just want to let my colleagues know that um, the city of Kirkland was invited to uh, testify before the Senate Housing and Local Government uh, Committee uh, tomorrow uh, to share with them, the members of the committee, uh, some of the insights that Kirkland has uh from the adoption of our missile, missing middle housing um uh, uh program for lack of a better term uh in march of 2020. so we're there to sort of share some of what we learned in the two plus years that we've had um missing middle housing um in the city of kirkland along with the city of walla walla so thank you that's it
0: councilmember curtis
2: thank you deputy mayor well i'm first i'm gonna start with sad news in that uh, the city had to make the call on Saturday to cancel the Forest Day celebration because of the smoke index was so high, and we hope to reschedule it, and I just want to say thank you to the many, many, many volunteers that worked very hard to prepare for that presentation. KCD had loaded a truck full of trees. We had vendors coming out. The master gardeners were coming. It is just, it's disappointing. And I'm sure the community was disappointed also. But it was absolutely the right call. The smoke was very bad that day. Um, I also got vaccinated and boosted on the Kirkland Health and Wellness Fair. I'll let Councilmember Falcone talk about the ARCH celebration, which was wonderful. Um, I guess I'm talking about K4C because... Madam Mayor is not here, and I'm the (laughs) only one left. So, uh, All right. For
11: some reason, I thought Deputy Mayor was at that. No, it was was, Madam Mayor. You're right. I guess I pinned it on you.
2: Yeah, you sure did. Um, So that was, again, I I wish that that was an event that we could all attend. They're really good presentations. Um, You know, I continue to be reminded what a great job our city staff does. I do feel like uh, we have the benefit of being ahead on um, some of our sustainability actions that other communities aren't yet, but everybody is working together, K4C continues to expand, more people sign up, and we are making a difference. Um, on PFEC, another great meeting, staff is doing a wonderful job of preparing um, for these events, and for those of you in the audience, Parks is, Pfec is Parks Funding Exploratory Committee. If you're curious on what's happening, the webpage has all of the information that is being presented, and do take a moment to look at the very charming and inf- informational videos that uh, Parks staff has put together. Um, it's a great way, great way to present information, and that's it.
1: Thank
0: you, Councilmember Falcon.
2: Thank you, Deputy Mayor.
1: Well, that really helps check some things off my list. So thank you so much to my colleagues for for checking off several things. I will um, echo Councilmember Curtis's, you know, um, sad feelings towards the um, Kirkland Forest Day events being canceled that same morning my um, youngest peewee soccer was also canceled due to the smoke so i understand and i think it was uh, certainly the right call to make for health and safety um, but thank you for acknowledging all of that hard work that was put into planning that Councillor curtis um as Councillor curtis alluded to she and i attended the arch 30th anniversary celebration at the Bellevue botanical gardens along with our um, very own city manager kurt triplett who did a fantastic job of kicking off the event the event with introductory remarks. So really well done representing, I know you were there wearing your Arch hat, but also represented the city of Kirkland very well. So thank you very much for that. Um, It was a beautiful event, a beautiful day, a beautiful venue, and it was just remarkable to, it was very moving to um, hear the history of Arch and to be there with so many folks who helped it in its infancy and have been involved in Arch along the way, Um, just to hear of the be reminded of the amazing accomplishments to date of Arch. There's so much to be proud of, but also to acknowledge that there's so much more work as we all know, as we know in our legislative agenda that we're um, discussed tonight and so much of the work we do, that there's so much more work to be done. So, so thankful for Arch. And it was a really fun um, time to celebrate the past 30 years and look to the future. So um, thank you to all who were involved in that. Um, just a couple of more things I'll just highlight because um, I don't know if we're going to make the 9:30. uh, uh, meeting ending, <laughs> Deputy Mayor, but certainly want to help towards that. So um, I'm looking forward to this weekend uh drive in movie of Casper with my family in the uh, Juanita Beach Park. I just love these community events that we had. You know, o- over the summer, we had um, movies in the park that were a free event that folks could just sit in the grass with their family and watch movies on the big screen. That was fantastic, and I'm really glad that we have um, a way to enjoy that. It is through a ticketed event, but Obviously, because there's limited parking spaces for cars to watch the movie, but really happy that we um, are having those community building events. So, thank you to the Parks Department for that. Also, next week, looking forward to the next um, SCA Equity and Inclusion Cabinet meeting. Um, I'm not sure what's on our agenda yet, haven't seen it, but we will likely be discussing. We recently um, proposed to the SCA board some. Edits to the um, vision and the vision uh, and value statements, mission statement and values related specifically to equity and anti racism. And so I am hopeful that we will see some changes there. And that is it. Thank you.
9: Councilmember Paschal. Deputy Mayor. Uh, so just a couple things. One, uh, we continue to, as part of the Regional Transit Committee, continue to follow along kind of developments with the funding of, or lack thereof, of uh, the K line um, in the Metro's proposed uh, two year budget. Um, continue to have discussions with Bellevue, since there's mutual interest here, um, and, and also uh, Councilmember uh, Balducci's staff. The RTC meeting is tomorrow, so hopefully we'll learn a little bit more. But we do want to have. Uh, let's see. Uh, county staff has suggested that uh, legislative staff has suggested that we we wait to hear from Metro a little bit more before we send off the letter, the joint letter. And you might be talking about. Are you going to be talking about? It? Okay. Um, and uh, it's a it's a letter that we we'd sign jointly with with City of Bellevue um, on. Uh, additional funding for the K line but I think kind of where we're at at the moment is metros is just not seeing it as a competitive um, line because of some of the because the ridership is not coming back uh, at least in North County as as compared to South County Um, and there's no kind of uh, dedicated funding for construction uh, in you know any future budget so they're they're kind of uh, waiting and making sh- and kind of putting the other rapid ride line, uh, line forward in Seattle um, as the one that would go next. Um, and I think what this means is, it's from a timeline perspective, it's either we were planning for 2030, this is pushing it out to 2035 or further. Um, it's kind of what the situation is, and so if if we don't get support to, to get more in the budget, it just prolongs that uh, the K-Line ever uh, becoming um, up and running. So it's a really important thing that I hope that, that, I know that staff's tracking and that I will, and hopefully others will, um, and that we'll need to have probably a pretty big push with our county council uh, individually at some point, I imagine, so just kind of update on that. And then the second thing was, um, I did get an email today um, about the superintendent's community leaders breakfast, and I don't know who, if we all received that, but we, um, but we uh, want to make sure that. Unfortunately, I don't think all of us can go uh, to avoid a quorum. So, um, uh, typically, it's it's the two re- representatives on the city school coordinating committee that attend, along with the mayor. Um, so I would suggest that, unless others have a another. Uh,
0: I'm seeing head nods with that. And if the mayor um, uh, has a conflict, we can deal with that at that point. Great. That's Any it. Further? Okay. Thank you. And I would note on the K-line, council had previously authorized a letter. We'll just deciding on a joint letter with Bellevue and the right timing on that based on Councilmember Pascoe's leadership on the RTC. Okay. That takes us to item 10B, city manager reports, legislative request memoranda. City manager.
4: Uh, Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, So here to give you a brief update of the legislative request memo is David Walbrook, our communication manager. Uh, This was a request the Council made for potential changes to the proclamation process. So,
23: David. Good evening, Deputy Mayor, members of the Council. Um, Thank you, City Manager. And uh, I'm joined also by uh, Jim Lopez, our Deputy City Manager for External Affairs. So. Very brief presentation for you tonight um, on the legislative request memo for updating uh, policy procedures for proclamations Um, and just as a by way of a brief reminder, um, the Council uh, policy procedures specify uh, the legislative request memo process in section 3.27 and a couple salient points are quoted here Um, just to emphasize that. the the legislative request memo that we that staff have brought tonight um does not mean that council is um approving anything or making any decisions um tonight Um, at this point staff are checking in with council just to see if council is interested in staff proceeding with the development of this proposal and so at the end of this presentation um, if council is interested staff will be seeking a motion to that effect and so this uh, specific LRM is to identify the actions and resources necessary um, for the proclamation process to be updated. Um, and this was a, a request that Deputy Mayor Arnold made um, at the September 20th council meeting. And the the idea on the floor is that the proclamations and associated memoranda be included in the consent agenda of council meetings, um, and also that the reading of proclamations be pre recorded and posted to the city's website. Um, And in response to this uh, request and and as uh, staff were engaging on this topic, staff really envisioned two types of proclamations to help uh, guide this conversation. Uh, first video proclamations and the second just uh, website proclamations. And uh, they're very similar um, as far as uh, kind of thinking like a Venn diagram, but um, video proclamations would be more intensive um, and those would include coordination um, and a video shoot, um, posting the video and also posting the text of the proclamation to the city's website, uh, linking to the memo uh, and, and any attachments um, on that same page as well. Um, as per has been the city's practice, um, issuing the proclamation for the requester, Um, as well as providing the council memo and uh, actual proclamation um, for the consent agenda. Uh, Website proclamations, as I mentioned, will be very similar, um, except no video. Uh, Text on the website, however, um, as well as links for more information. Proclamation also provided to the requester, if applicable, and again, the memo and proclamation for the consent agenda. Uh, Based on this, uh, staff anticipate that Uh, we could accommodate three total proclamations per month um, consisting of no more than two video proclamations Um, and additional proclamations would impact uh, other communications work program items. Um, So if council would like to proceed, staff will return with legislation for council consideration that would amend the council policies and procedures um, section 3.05, the order of business as well as 6.01, 0.5 relating to proclamations being read at council meetings. Um, And here are a couple of the specific um, items that was also in the LRM in your packet. Um, And the otherwise the policies related to proclamations that um, have been in place so far, specifically the mayor determining whether to sign a proclamation and what type of proclamation to issue um, from the two categories, whether video or web um, would also be uh, included um, they're in so with that um i'll turn it back over to you deputy mayor and as i mentioned staff are um, seeking a motion if council is uh interested in staff proceeding with uh developing this concept further for council consideration
0: questions or comments customer curtis
2: thank you deputy mayor thank you david hi jim um so if i understand this correctly we're suggesting that we're not doing any proclamations live if we move forward with this
4: motion? So, the, so, uh,
23: oh, sorry. Uh, oh, sorry, yes. Well, let
4: jump in. So, so yes, as stated, but the point about the way this could come back is you'd have an opportunity to amend or address that as well, so it doesn't mean you automatically agree to that, um, nor does it contemplate that we wouldn't have someone in chambers to receive the proclamation. Okay. So we might physically give the proclamation, but as currently suggested, we wouldn't be reading it.
2: I appreciate the opportunity to be more efficient and record proclamations, and we do get to a point where we have four or five, and it takes a lot of time, but I think there's a big value in some proclamations being read in chambers, particularly I'm thinking of the Pride Proclamation, Um, but there's many more, the Domestic Violence Proclamation, and it's really important to our community members that they are physically here, and we are here hearing their stories. And <clears throat> by recording these proclamations and putting it on the website, it's just a one-way communication. And I personally really value um, meeting with community members. It's a very—it's one of the few times that we can have an interaction um, in person when we're in chambers. So, I um, so I'm not enthusiastic of doing all proclamations. Um, via video or website if this comes back and council wants to move forward with it i would like to carve out a portion of our proclamations that we think are important enough to do in person and that will be a difficult call i recognize that um, so that's where i am thank you council member thank you deputy mayor well i concur
1: with council member curtis i definitely do not want us to see i do not want to see us do away with reading proclamations live in council chambers during our meetings. I think there's a lot of value to that. I won't repeat everything Councillor Curtis said, but I do agree with that. Um, I also think that, you know, I really appreciate and love how polished our videos are with Mike and his amazing equipment and team and gosh, they're fantastic and so professional looking. Um, And I think it's okay to have less polished videos too. So I like, you know, there's, there's something very, um, Uh, approachable about you know some of the videos I think that we even shot ourselves on our cell phones during the height of the pandemic as council members I'm not saying that we should necessarily do that but you know some sort of um, more relaxed approach that may require less staff resources I would like us to consider as well because I don't want to limit us to just three proclamations per month there are months where I think there are definitely more than three that warrant um, us proclaiming them you know you may recall that this idea came out of a meeting that I had with David um, months ago when we were discussing the progress on the comprehensive annual list of proclamations. Um, we were acknowledging at the time, I was asking for you know, just kind of an update on that and acknowledging that the list could get kind of lengthy and trying to address how we could um, address that so we wouldn't have you know, many, many proclamations being read during our live business meetings. And I proposed that we could present some of our proclamations on video instead of reading them live during all of our meetings. I then shared this idea with Deputy Mayor Arnold and um, Mayor Sweet, which led us here tonight. Um, So as it stemmed from that discussion of our comprehensive list of proclamations, I'd like to very briefly take a step back um, to that for a moment. You may recall that in March of 2021, when we revised our policies and procedures, we made some changes to chapter six, which is our chapter on proclamations and commendations. And one addition that we made last year was to add quote the city council shall maintain and publicly display a list of recurring proclamations generally issued by the mayor on at least an annual basis the list of recurring proclamations shall be reviewed by the council at least every two years in even years to ensure that they reflect the current values and policy positions of the council so i don't think we've done this yet Um, so i would love an update on the progress of this Again, it's what stemmed this idea to video record our proclamation, so it's very relevant to our discussion tonight. Also then, somewhat related, thank you for humoring me on this, um, is a similar effort that I'd like us to undertake, which is developing a comprehensive calendar of not only proclamations, but of cultural and religious events and holidays to help us in our planning of city events and meetings. The city of Issaquah recently passed such a calendar, which was developed by their equity board and approved by their city council and um, i passed this calendar on to of of cultural and religious holidays on to um, erica and jim and some other um, folks on staff and my understanding is that we will be developing one as well Um, and so then my question is in addition to sharing my thoughts about still wanting us to have some live proclamations wanting this to be just some of our um, recording video perhaps it doesn't have to be as polished and it's really just the ones where we choose to not Uh, shared them live during our meetings my question is do we have a timeline on when the council will be reviewing the proclamation list and um, the cultural and religious holidays and events calendars I see these as a similar undertaking that we look comprehensively at very you know with our DEIB manager perhaps really looking at what proclamations we're missing are there ones that we should be um, looking at related to DEIB or our values as a city and um also, looking at the ones that we currently have, do we want to continue um, proclaiming those months as well?
0: Okay. City manager or deputy city manager, do we know? Uh, do we, are we planning to bring back that list of proclamations uh, at some point?
4: I'm going to have to turn that one over to you, uh, Jim. Jim, you're muted.
24: We're prepared to do all of that, uh, uh, Deputy Mayor. Um, I think it's really a function of working with the city manager to find time, the appropriate time on the calendar to bring that body of work back. But we do have those materials. Thank you, Council Member Falcone. And I think we could put together uh, that, that work program um, expeditiously, really. Thank you. Council Member Nixon. Uh,
0: thank you,
24: Deputy
10: Mayor. Um, Well, I join my colleagues in saying I would like to preserve the option uh, of having live proclamations presented in council meetings, but I would say under extraordinary circumstances. Right? Um, The default should be text or video, um, uh, but there should be the option uh, of having a live proclamation uh, for particularly meaningful uh, occasions. Um, The question then is, who decides? Uh, you know, I think the choice should be up to the mayor and deputy mayor in the agenda-setting meeting. Um, but we should really strengthen the ability for the council to have input on that. Um, you know, we recently had a meeting where a couple of proclamations were live and a couple were on consent, and there really wasn't any that I know of council input on that. So. Uh, Obviously, we have Open Public Meetings Act issues and reaching any sort of consensus on something like that. Um, But maybe it could be a one-way data gathering or something like that um, for the mayor and deputy mayor to find out um, if there's any council members who think something is worth elevating to be live uh, and take that into consideration in their agenda setting process. I do want to say I really, really like the idea of having proclamations all in one place on the website, where somebody can go to the proclamations page mm-hmm. and see them all. Currently they're all buried in council packets and nobody can find them except us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great idea. Um, and I also think that the policy, the policy is currently represented in the staff memo and the slide deck, talks about hosting them on the website. Um, but. It doesn't explicitly say it, but I assume it's implied that they would also be posted on social media, and uh, including you know, having the video just live on the social media, um, and, and with links in the city email newsletter as well. And I think that would increase the exposure of the proclamations to a much broader audience than we generally have now, um, because Currently, if you're not watching the council meeting, you may not even be aware the proclamation was ever made. Um, so, uh, I, th- I think I think we're heading in the right direction, uh, but but would like to see the the option kept for live proclamations. Thank you. Okay,
0: Councilmember Black. Sorry, uh, Councilmember Pascoe was ahead of you.
9: That's fine. Uh, thank you. Uh, just a quick uh item i think all good comments so i i guess when this comes back i'd like to see maybe, maybe this was part of it but just options on how we would decide on which our video which which our website which may be read out loud i know that there's going to be different it um ways to do that but it'd be good for staff to at least provide a few options for us to consider <clears throat> because that's gonna, I think that's gonna be the really. I mean that, and and, and, and which proc and just how many proclamations overall are going to be the really difficult um, discussion. And then I had a question. You, I'd read in the packet that it said only, that only three could be al- allowed per month, or that would be kind of the maximum. And. Um, is that is that more i can understand with the video side that 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 could take some resources but i was kind of curious about the website side of things um you know if they weren't a video it seemed like we've been doing more than 3 a month to be honest um so i'm just wondering what's the resource uh you know time Uh, the the amount of time on the website piece where you're still taking a proclamation it's it's, it doesn't feel like it's it's anything different than what we're doing today except we're posting it someplace central
24: well what what we thank you councilman Casper what what we tried to do is bundle the video they all require memorandum they all require um resources to the logistics of putting the proclamations together vetting and things like that so what we tried to do is package if we were doing this new model, not that we couldn't do more, we certainly could, just what might start to infringe upon our existing work program and where we might have to reallocate resources in a given month. We just wanted to give you, the council, some guidance as to what we think that boundary might be. But we we feel that we are flexible to do more as needed for sure.
9: And I think, that, I think that's helpful. I just wanted to understand that a little bit. More, so thank you.
0: Um, Councilmember
9: Black.
11: Thank you, Deputy Mayor. I'm sort of weighing whether I need to say anything at all, but um, I'll just say uh, two things. One, um, when I spoke to the city manager about this proposal um, before our meeting tonight, the, the two things I wanted to make sure is uh, or two comments I had. One thing I really wanted to make sure that we did preserve at least the ability to have a guest come to our meeting. Uh, and be presented uh, with our uh, proclamation and have um, uh, sort of a, a in, in real time recognition um, of our community partners and people in our community. And um, so, and I, I don't think anything we're talking about tonight uh, prevents that from being part of the proposal. Um, and then the second thing, um, you know, I had the same observation that I think a couple of my colleagues had, that in some ways, um, you know, a video and a, uh, a program that gets those videos out to the public through our various communication channels could make our proclamations actually even more. I think, uh, Councilmember Nixon, this was your point, um, could make them even uh distribute to even wider audience even more of our community would see our proclamation so that's uh something that i did uh, i did think about as i was considering this and talking it with uh, city manager and still something that i think is a benefit of the of the uh, video proclamations so thanks
0: two comments Uh, first is for all the proclamations that we do on the calendar they are Important to members of the community some of them are very important to individual council members. It is it, it, it can especially if we're talking about Now multiple tiers of saying live video web you know, Consent it can be very challenging for the the mayor and the deputy mayor in our agenda setting meetings to decide Who is it that doesn't get the same level of exposure? My recommendation would be we need to make that decision as a council well ahead of time for the calendar for the year um, and versus saying this is a call that's made on, on, on the fly where we're trying to say, boy, we have a long agenda already, and we're going to add 45 minutes of of live proclamations to that. So I would rather decide ahead of time. Um, and uh, support what Council Member Nixon is saying, that the default should be um, video and not live. It should be extraordinary to do it live of... I think if we do videos right, it can be something that's even more powerful than live because it becomes more shareable. I would like to see options on saying, how do we do all of the proclamations that are on the regular calendar on video? I suspect these are more than two a month. I don't know if it follows Council Member Falcone's suggestion of saying, does this mean that some of these are recorded by Council Members and and submitted to staff? Does that help? Is it mean something that, we, that council members that are interested uh, show up at 5 o'clock while the room is being set up and we record from the dais on council meeting nights? Are there ways like that that we can say we get all of the proclamations done? So I'd like to see some options on that. Um, that ends my, my comments. I'm going to go back to saying anybody have a suggestion on pulling that together into a motion, or city manager, do you think you have what you need to come
4: back I think I think a motion would be helpful. Just a, a motion, directing staff to bring back options for proclamation.
1: So moved. Just as a
24: point of, um, a uh, deputy mayor. Just as yes, a point please. of, just as a point of clarification, I'm I'm hearing that as part of that to come back with three tiers, but also uh, that you're looking for staff to make recommendations on the criteria that may differentiate the three, and. Um, you know, right now it's the discretion of the mayor. So I'm assuming we're into the same kind of paradigm. We present criteria and then uh, the council process by which the mayor shares and makes the final call is the same, or are you asking for us to provide options on that as well?
0: I, Council Member Nixon.
10: Uh, Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Well, Jim, I think that the, as was previously suggested, the majority, probably the large majority of proclamations we do are annual. And I agree with Councilmember Falcone, it would be great for us to just go through those and set the mode um, up front each year and um, potentially make adjustments to it. The same way we kind of go through the holidays and, and, right. and those sort of things at the beginning of each year. But um, we do occasionally have brand new proclamations. And so I think what we need is some idea of how those will be determined. And it could simply be that it comes to the council, maybe even on consent, which could be pulled, to make that decision at the preceding council meeting. Sure. Uh, beca- because our policy should be that we know about proclamations farther in advance than the preceding council meeting. Uh, because the packet you know, has to be done pretty soon after the preceding council meeting, for the next council meeting anyway. So that would be my idea. Annually as much as possible, and then by the council at the preceding council meeting uh, for the proclamations for the next meeting. Sounds good. So what, what I'm hearing is that we would like to see a calendar of recurring
0: proclamations, options for putting those in tiers, and a process for dealing with proclamations outside of those recurring ones. Does that capture the direction that we're looking for, Council Member
2: Curtis? I just don't want to overlook Councilmember Falcone's suggestion that we review our proclamations and see if there's any that we need to take under consideration to add to our calendar.
1: And I think, it, if I may, it, I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with the other um, effort of looking at a calendar of um, events, of religious and cultural events and holidays as well that may inform our proclamation Um, calendar as well i mean i think it's just a matter of following our policies and procedures that we updated last year that we would look at this comprehensively every two years and that as Councilmember nixon noted having a list and all the proclamations in a single site i think would also um, help us follow our policy and procedure around that thank you
0: we have a motion on the table to direct staff to bring back options for uh, all of the things discussed which include a uh, calendar of proclamations a calendar of holidays uh tiering and a decision making process <laughs> any uh, city manager uh, any any further Absolutely. discussion all in favor aye. aye aye any opposed the motion passes
4: we do have all that we have all that captured thank you okay very good city manager any further I just have For your report. A two quick updates and then uh, one announcement. So, the, as you know, the government affairs, uh, government relations team has been working. We have interviewed and and f- have a lobbyist to make an offer to, so we should have something to tell the council about a lobbying firm in the next couple days. Um, so that will be, we'll have someone finally to join our ranks after Mike and Teresita um, are finished with us at the end of the month. And then... We are reviewing the new round of government affairs position resumes tomorrow, Jim and I, and we hope to set up uh, interviews at the beginning of next week, and we hope to have someone to announce, we hope, by the end of next week. So try to get that uh, team to full strength, and I appreciate all the patience of the legislative work group as we've been working through this. You all have been awesome. Then I just wanted to uh, restate what I said before, especially for members of the public who may be listening that the budget Proposal the city manager's proposed budget is now online you can find it on the website and physical documents are available to any council members who want them Um, For those of you who want to know like what's the first thing you should read? It's the budget message Uh, The 30 odd pages or so which are roman numeral pages Really give a executive summary of the budget and so I'd, I'd tell folks that would be the great place to start But obviously we'd love it if you looked at all 400 pages of the document so um, and if you have any questions between now and the budget presentation that's coming uh, next Tuesday, we certainly welcome them. But that we're going to walk through the entire budget um, next Tuesday. So,
0: Councilman McCurdy.
2: I just want to thank finance staff for putting together the physical budget books for those of us that need them. So, thank mm-hmm.
4: you. Okay, and just if there's any other calendar updates, otherwise, I am finished with my city manager presentation.
0: Councilman, any calendar updates? Okay, and that takes us to item 11 on our agenda items from the audience this is an additional time in our meeting as our business has concluded before 10 pm where we can hear from the public on matters that are not quasi-judicial or otherwise scheduled for public hearing uh there is nobody in the council chambers nobody online clerk reports there's nobody online so i will declare items from the audience closed. That takes us to item 13, closed session to discuss collective bargaining. We'll now go into closed session to discuss matters of collective bargaining. City manager, how much time will we need?
4: I'm going to suggest 20 minutes and then maybe some extension. Okay. We will
0: expect to reconvene um, our uh, regular meeting at uh, 10-10, but only for purposes of adjournment. Thank you. Thank you.